You give me my monkey now! <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Not Up On Podcast. Folks, this is a special edition, right, Brad? It is. I'm looking at you directly in the eye. That's the first part of the special edition. We are in the same room out on the East Coast in the beautiful city of Baltimore. Celebrating your birthday. Uh, yes. I'm I'm 21 years old with 29 years of experience. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but that's not the only cool thing. We also have some other people in the room as well. So I'm going to first, and I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, first of all, we've got the one and only Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema here. How you doing? How you guys doing? Uh, doing great, man. It's been an yeah. amazing four days. <laughs> yeah. Here in person. I know. Uh, and that's not it. If you're like, wow, that's that's a pretty jam-packed. They're, they're in the same room. Three of them know we've got a fourth. He's been on the show before. He is probably the biggest death to Smoochie fan I know, and that's none other than Nathan. Uh, welcome back to Baltimore, Nathan. You, you traveled a long way to get here, right? A little bit. A little bit? And little you bit. drove I from did. Arizona did. Yes. all the way. You're nuts. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> How many Thank hours you. is that on the car? Uh, Gosh, I don't know. We broke it up pretty well, but it's uh, here to KC is like, 24 and that's not even halfway so wow yeah yeah it's a long time <laughs> that's insane and you, you would you you were working while you're making the trek so you'd have to pull off the road and work at the same time yep okay you're insane man working remote's awesome but yeah if you're just working remote not like working remote and then traveling 50 hours in drive time <laughs> that's insane uh same and i flew yeah how, how long was that flight like an hour. An hour. Yeah. Yeah. You guys might have been a little bit smarter <laughs> yeah. than I. <laughs> 70 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a great thing about Louisville to Baltimore. Direct flight, iron 15. Uh, yeah. You just don't get enough time for your, your peanuts, pretzel, and drink. No, you really got to throw those down. They're okay. like, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, they really are putting the pressure on you to get that stuff down quick. So we have spent uh, about four days together. Is that about right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. And we, we originally, man, the, the schedule kind of flip-flopped it. At first, we're like, hey, uh, my pick this week was going to be uh, Top Secret with Val Kilmer. And then we kind of said, well, let, let's do something else since we're going to be in the room. And we decided on Ninja 3, The Domination. And then uh, last night, <laughs> we, were, we were talking and said, you know what? We've watched some very interesting films. We've watched a lot of bombs, actually or movies that just people don't know about, specifically uh, in the United States. Why not just give everybody a taste of what we've experienced over the last four days and talk about all the movies that we watched? And so this is sort of a everything in the kitchen sink or the hodgepodge episode. But we wanna take you on a tour of what our, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, none of these were planned, meaning we kind of got into a room, started looking at the selection. I don't have a lot to choose from. <laughs> so we, uh, <laughs> It was very limited, um, but we we found films that at that time just kind of piqued our interest. 
Big surprise though, out of the six movies we're gonna talk about, four are Asian. One of them is Asian inspired. And the last one, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that one. Not sure that's a movie. I think I think that last one is going to be an indication of why you should never pick a film while under the influence of alcohol. Mm, that's I, a good point. Yeah. So it, it might be a warning message more than anything, like our public service <laughs> PSA, announcement. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I just I since moving out to Baltimore have always been amazed at the food scene out here. I mean, it's ridiculous. And Rick, this is, uh, is this your second trip out here? Yes. Okay. So you hadn't been before um, a few months ago, right? That was was almost a year ago. Oh yeah, it was was almost a year ago. Okay. And Brad, have you been to Baltimore before? It had been since like almost early 90s because it was the Cal Ripken, the streak part so oh. yeah i was out here for that for a game so it's been probably 25 years oh boy yeah. and nathan you've been out here a few times uh well twice now okay twice it's been a yearish now yep. okay, okay cool so i i've tried to do everything i can to expose you guys to my favorites out here as an example uh we started thursday morning after you guys got up at like two in the morning and flew out here Yes. At uh, the Blue Moon Cafe, so you guys could experience Captain Crunch French Toast. Yeah. Um, what was it? Hobo Eggs. Hobo Eggs. That's what I had, yes. What was yours, Nathan? Mine the, was like a peanut butter fluffer nutter French toast. Stuff and fluff like or something? Everything on it, yeah. yeah. Shut the, shut the fluff up? Shut, shut, the, the, shut the fluff up. up. That's French right. Toast, shut yep. the fluff up, yeah. Uh, and Brad, you had the pancakes? I had plain pancakes. <laughs> plain pancakes. <laughs> but. A side of sausage, right? And the, no, the bacon and the, the homemade. Uh, Syrup. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was breakfast. Uh, for lunch that day, we happened to watch an amazing, amazing baseball game at Camden Yards. You guys got to experience a little bit of Boog's barbecue with the Krabby chips that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to add to the baseball game for the record. <laughs> oh, uh, who was playing that day? Let me see. Was it the uh, Baltimore Orioles versus the New York Yankees, right? That's what I was told. Okay. I, I tuned out at some point. <laughs> Particularly and in the bottom of the ninth, you tuned out? Yes. Right oh, you were you were all excited in the beginning when the Yankees uh, were up 2-0. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> what a game, though. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Your Honor, I do not recall. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but uh, yeah. First time I've ever seen a walk-off game in my life. So 49 years of going to games. Well, let's be honest, not 49 years, but close to that. Yeah. And I'd never seen that happen before. So It was crazy. It was one of the best baseball games I think I've seen. Uh, and, and amazing to be there to experience it all. That night, we got to go back to Fells Point. Um, Brad finally got to experience Soundgarden. I and did in the whale music they were playing that day. It was an odd choice, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll it, never forget it. I don't know what they were doing, but it was whale music with a, what's the Australian uh, didgeridoo? Didgeridoo, yeah, that's right. I felt like there's a little bit of throat singing in there too. Maybe some Mongolian throat singing in there as well. It, it something, was something was definitely being throated. <laughs> it was getting weird. It was. We got to go to Alexander's Tavern for tachos, right? For a lot of food. Yes. That was uh, the beginning of the gluttony right there. Sriracha Brussels sprouts, tachos. um, Cheese curds uh, dipped in buffalo sauce. Yes. yes. The the steak, the adult grilled cheese. We'll just call it Randy's steak. (laughs) It was definitely the beginning of seven. Like the gluttony was on point for sure. That was day one, right? 
For the record, we should say Randy is around in the background here as we were recording. Yeah, if he yep. jumps in, he might have some thoughts on one of our He's films. ever hovering, the ever omnipresent Randy. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the other places. You finally got to experience Chaps Barbecue, Pit yes. Beef. Yeah, Pit Beef. Okay. Um, oh, uh, Bush Mills. We finally introduced Brad to Duck Fat Fries and Duck Fat Tots. And they lived up to the hype, 100%. Yes. Yeah, look, I mean, Brad and I are from South, which is very much a food-heavy area. Fried food. Fried food in particular, yes. And we have large portions down there. It's quite ridiculous. A lot of us have midsections, but the food up here is absolutely... The portion control is out of control up here. (laughs) My Lord. There is no control. There is no control. There isn't. So I got to ask, out of all the things you got to experience over the four days, food-wise, do you have a favorite that... uh, I I still think Chaps is the best. And then, of course, followed right behind your cooking is the I'll say that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The chicken last night was... Pretty, pretty awesome. The green egg. Yeah, there, there's something about eating at home, right? Yeah. It's totally different. Oh, and, I love cooking on the green egg. And of course, we had a bunch of people over in the community aspect of it. And John was here. So your listeners know who John is. And Jose. Jose. Jose was here. Yep. yep. And it was just, it was wonderful. Oh, Randy's Uh-oh. hovering. Are you guys going to let the Korean pork tacos go by without comment? <laughs> yeah, we should mention the Korean pork tacos. We did have Korean pork tacos and the uh, Shanghai tacos. Yeah, shrimp Bush tacos. Yeah, yeah, very we, good. We got a lot of pushback from John about those. but They're not Korean. Yes, we Korean understand. food that I really enjoyed. But, the, but according to John, it's not Korean. It was culturally appropriated by Bushmills Tavern. <laughs> Life is tough. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Bushmills is when we pulled up to it, I was starting to second guess whether or not you had lied to me. Like this place is like a little hole in the wall. It's a dive, man. Yeah, it looks and, like a and dive. Then you walk off of in the... there, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, these fries look amazing. These tater tots look amazing." And then everything came out, and is like, "I want to eat that. I want to eat that. And I want to eat that." Yeah. So it was uh, quite the experience. And don't judge a book by its cover, because that place was way different than what I had initially reacted to. Yeah, I, I just I I get such a kick out of when people visit. Uh, because again, I've had you know people who lived out here take me to some amazing places like Randy, Justin, et cetera. And you cannot underestimate how good the food is. And we didn't even get to try you know the traditional ca- crab cakes and everything else. So um, I'm just I'm just glad you you guys ex- just really liked everything that we fell in love with out here. But this is not like the Food Network. Um, we just I, I just kind of want to make sure everybody uh, gets out here and tries any of the things that we talked about especially Blue Moon Cafe. I mean, when you hear about that and you go, wow, it's a two-hour wait just to eat breakfast there, I'm telling you it's worth it. It's There's a reason why so many Baltimore restaurants like Chaps, et cetera, have shown up on these Food Network shows and everything else because – It's it, all decadent. Too. It's just complete yeah. decadence. That's what it is. It is fantastic. It's very Southern in that way, I have to say. Yep. Well, let's, let's talk movies, right? So we started an adventure – of movie watching with a Hong Kong classic from 1981. Brad, what was the first movie that uh, I think I think Rick picked this one out? Yeah, because yeah. Rick and I had seen it, but you had never seen. I'd it, I'd never right? seen uh, Dreadnoughts, um, 1981's Dreadnought, directed by Yung Wung Ping. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep, correct. Um, Story by Wang Jing. Yeah, yeah. I had never seen it. It's always been one of those blind spots. And you had got the is it Eureka? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And yeah, man, it was, uh, it's a weird movie because it's like very, I want to say Italian cinema inspired. Oh, what do you mean by that? 
I mean, there's like this horror element and White Tiger is always stalking and it's a, there's a lot of POV shots. It's a, it's a weird movie, but I loved it every second of it. Yeah. It, it's a very interesting film. It's uh, directed by Yun Wu Ping. It stars Yun Biao, Brian Nguyen, uh, Quan Ta King, cinematography by Ma Kun Wa. And, um, it was distributed by Golden Harvest. And I don't know about you guys, but you see that Golden Harvest logo come up on screen. I just get super excited. Yeah. It is a weird film because the whole story of it is Yun Wu Ping plays uh, pretty much a Freddy cat, right? Laundry guy. And oh, not Yun Wu Ping, Scott. Uh, Bian, uh, oh, Yun Biao. Yun, Bian, Bian. Bian, Bian, sorry. Um, and, and he's supposed to be the star of the film. I mean, this, is, this really is a build when, when you see the cover and everything else, you see you and Biao on it. But I got to tell you, I mean, it, it really feels like an ensemble piece. It really does. It really does. Yeah. And, um, Philip Coe as uh, Tam King, um, you, you get a lot of fantastic, um, Quan Ta King as Wang Fei Hong, who, I mean, he's played Wang Fei Hong in, I don't know how many different iterations. Yeah, of I don't it. know how many films he did, but I think this was, we were talking about, this is the last time he did it. Yes. I think it probably was a really a get for Yun Wu Ping who uh, probably had seen a lot of those films, as most Chinese probably had. Yeah. And this was the last time he did that. Yeah, and it is it is a martial arts film, a Yun Ping film. Uh, like you said, Brad, it's kind of merged with what almost feels like an Italian, would you say Italian giallo or more of like a slasher film? That's a giallo-esque, and then some American slasher elements as well. Okay. Definitely. There's POV shots, which is kind of weird in a kung fu film. Not that there isn't any of those, but this one definitely some weird angles, some it, weird ideas. I, I agree. Um, and Brad, so Brad, that was your first time watch, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And Sammy, you hadn't seen it for a long time, right? Yeah, I hadn't seen it for a long time. There's uh, an episode of our show you can listen to where we talk about it, but I remember being blown away by it and uh, really wanted Brad to see it. Yeah. So that's the reason why I kind of threw it. I threw it out there. Now, Nathan, you weren't around the day we watched this. No. Did, have you seen this before? I have not, unfortunately, but I'll have to check it out. Okay, so our job at this point right now, we got to sell Nathan on this film. So, uh, Brad, I'll, I'll let you go first since you saw it for the first time. What, what's your pitch to Nathan on why he just needs to watch this immediately? Uh, that theater scene at the very end? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a laundry fight... There's, I mean, it's ridiculous the the amount of stuff that's in this movie that I didn't see coming. Um, God, that last like the last fight of this movie is probably one of my favorites I've seen in a in a Hong Kong film in a long time. So, yeah, I, I don't know what there is to say about it. It's really awesome. <laughs> I, I don't. I, it's, just, like, it's hard. It's hard to yeah. like. Yeah, I think the last 30 minutes of this movie is pretty great. Um, there's like a mystery throughout the film, too. Um, White Tiger, the guy playing White Tiger is ridiculous. And all he does is snarl, which you would think would get kind of annoying, but it's, it's actually kind of fun. Um, but yeah, man, I I don't know. There, there's some weird elements, too. We were talking about like they find paint on someone. He's like, oh, yeah, he must be working for the, the uh, theater club or whatever theater club whatever they call it uh, theater group and you're like how did you know so quick um and then yeah there's some problematic stuff in this movie too there's some characters that probably uh 
would make you kind of cringe today, but um, it, it is eighties cinema. Yeah, it is eighties. Well, it's eighties um, Hong Kong cinema, so some of the jokes are very. Yeah, they they wouldn't pass uh, the the but social acceptance. It's fine. In full disclosure, we watched this with the uh, the American um, dubbed version, just because I grew up watching Hong Kong films that way, um, and so I, I kind of like the the added cheese of that. Um, but this is one that I immediately after I saw it, I I ordered it, and it's on, it will be probably almost waiting for me when I get home. So oh, all right, well. Rick, if, if you had to sell this thing to Nate and make sure he watched it, what, what angle would you take on this one? Um, it's probably unlike most Kung Fu films you'll ever see. And it's the, uh, for me, this is the great example of why Yun Wu Ping is so important to Chinese cinema. The choreography, the way he sets it up, and the absurd mixture of comedy that only, it seems like he can do very well to me, for me is really genius. I mean, it really is. And some of the stuff that they do in this, it's just like every time I see something Yun Wu Ping does, he has a very fertile and amazing imagination to come up with this stuff. And, uh, I mean, Yun Biao's character's eagle claw technique, he's taught himself via doing laundry. <laughs> so that's if, that's if there's any Yun Wu Ping type elements, there you go. And you just... I mean, it's not like you've never seen any of this stuff before, but it's the imagination he puts into it, the editing, the work, and the performances are great, too. Everybody's good in the film, uh, if one note at times. But, man, it, it, it's still to this day amazing, the stuff they pull off in this film. I, I, yeah, I will say this. You, you will watch the film, and especially in the beginning, there's a lot of emphasis and focus on the lion dances. And oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you will. You've seen this in Hong Kong films and Jackie Chan films, etc. I don't think you've seen the artistry or the technical aspects of really two guys um, trying to do the lion dance fight another two guys. They're using claws and fire, and they're trying to go up these steps um, and using these benches. It's so intricate. And from a Kung Fu aspect, and I think this is what Yun Wu Ping does the best. He'll take an environment, and he'll take some really talented people, and he will put together a sequence that you just haven't seen before. Or if you've seen it before in other films, you he will just take it up a notch and go, yeah, that was pretty good. But let, let me have them balance on like seven or eight different stools uh, and fight each other and you know, basically use fire and claws and and that's just probably what in the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really a showstopper. Uh, and in the sequence, and you kind of pointed this out, Rick, that I, I always remember about Dreadnought is it is a, you, you don't realize it until maybe after it's over, but uh, Yun Biao is doing laundry and he's using an Eagle Claw technique that he doesn't know is an Eagle Claw technique to basically wash clothes and dry them and hang them up and you see Yun Biao's full acrobatics on display and it is the most unique training montage you'll ever see in film and that's what I remember about this uh, out of it and to see what he's doing to the laundry actually pay off against White Tiger in the in the last 20-30 minutes of the film I, you could put this thing on an English dub and it wouldn't matter because there's not a lot of talking in this film and the comedy is very broad, but it, it lands. It, you said it was one note. I agree with that 100%. But it's it's very funny, one note yeah. comedy. I should say one note performances 
Not yeah. so much one note comedy, but every every character has its place. Yes. And and it really is an ensemble piece. As as much as Yumbi is at the center of everything, mm-hmm. um, you've got so many people just showing off their stuff and it's it's a plot. It's one of the few movies that after I watch it, I always thought Samuel Hung was one of the best choreographers. And Yun Wu Ping's no slouch, but this is the film that after you watch it, you go, well, maybe Samuel Hung is second place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it remains close between those two. Absolutely. And and I've always appreciated, especially this time period in Hong Kong cinema with Yun Wu Ping. You could watch Mismatch Couples with Donnie Yen. You could watch this one. He is experimenting and having a lot of fun putting those sequences together. Yeah, that alleyway one stands out to me a lot, too. With the chase sequence and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Full-on wall climbing, acrobatics. Um, it, it is the reason why, if, if you were to ask me, like, what is my favorite time in cinema, it's 80s Hong Kong cinema. And, and this stands out there in the Pantheon. Dreadnought is so good. Yeah, it is, I mean, it's unique, right? Like, it's got, it's like yes. a horror, it's got a lot of horror elements to it. it. Is there anybody out there making films like that today? You can think from a choreography standpoint? Choreography-wise, no. Okay. Not in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen some amazing stuff from uh, Wilson Yip and Donnie Yen and all these people. I've seen, I mean, we, we see amazing stuff, right? Yeah. Tony Jiao stuff with the Ong Bak, the first, especially the first Ong Bak film. But man, nothing nothing like those Yun Wu Ping films of the 80s. A- absolutely. With that with that level of creativity. And or the, even, even his newest, or Master Z or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, even then, it's just incredibly creative. It is. Uh, it is going to be a sad day when we don't have Yun Wu Ping um, working behind the camera and putting stuff out. For those of us who have recently watched Matrix Resurrections, it's still a sad day that we don't have Yun Wu Ping. Yes, yes, very much so. I agree 1,000%. Um, yeah, man, it. I'm so glad Eureka, 88 Films, Criterion Now, they're going back to the stuff um, that Hong Kong was producing in the 80s, and they're putting some amazing special editions out. So if you have not, if you're a fan of action films and you have an all region player, right? Because this is region B, you have to pick this thing up. It's it's 100% fantastic. You will not be disappointed. Okay, anything else on that one? Not here. Okay, so Sammy, you actually picked out the next film. Yeah, I picked out two in a row. You I picked out two in a row. Yeah, I, I, hey, uh, <laughs> it was a good day. So the next one I had picked up about three weeks ago because I saw the trailer and it was a Korean film, and it looked really interesting to me. And you had said it is showing up on a streaming service, right? Yeah, the Haya channel. Haya. Yeah, from Wellgo USA. Wellgo USA has a streaming channel. Yep. And Brad, you had never even heard about this. Never film. heard of it. Okay. So what we're talking about is 2021's Spirit Walker. I I think we should talk about the setup or the plot of this. Who wants to take a stab at it? Oh. Okay. So you have... Have you seen the movie Memento? (laughs) It's kind of like that in a weird way, but, you know, Korean. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And a lot of face kicking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay. Here's Here's the official synopsis. Yeah. After waking up from a car crash, unable to remember anything about his life, a man begins regaining consciousness in a new body every 12 hours. He must piece together his identity all while evading attacks from pursuing agents and dangerous criminals alike. But with no memory and no allies, his time is running out. Yeah, which is a good way. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Okay. I, okay. Agree, I agree with Wikipedia on that one. You got that one? Okay. 
directed, ah, oh man, I'm going to slaughter these. Um, <laughs> directed by Yoon Jae-gyun, written by Yoon Jae-gyun, starring Yoon Kai-sang, Park Wong-yu, and Lim Ji-yong. Uh, it was, it says here, according, because usually our episodes, we actually spend a week doing some research on behind the scenes, et cetera. This is us just saying, hey, we saw some really great films we want to talk about. So it, uh, as of December 31st, 2021, it is at seventh place among all Korean films released in 2021. So it seemed to do pretty good over there. It is finally getting released in the US. Uh, as Sammy pointed out, it is on a streaming service and you can buy the Blu-ray now at a pretty relatively cheap price. Yeah, it, It's Korean cinema of late, I think is slowly replacing the, the Hong Kong or Chinese cinema in terms of, of the action. Like they're definitely flexing their muscles, putting a lot of amazing content out. Um, you're getting some amazing stars like Don Lee, who you know made his US appearance in the Eternals. This is the type of movie though, that I really wish Hollywood was putting out. And it was a first time watch for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm gonna start with you, Sammy. What, what was your initial impression on this one? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about it is the way the film looks. It looks really slick and really nice. The camera is never still. And when I say that, I don't mean kinetic. I mean, he's definitely setting an atmosphere up here. And he's tracking and moving in and out of areas and showing you how he can move the camera and stuff. But it adds to the story because you have this spirit walker thing that's kind of hovering in the background. So we should explain... It's not so much a spirit walker as it is this kind of weird drug thing that allows him to go into other people's bodies. It's very out there. Makes no sense. Not to me. Did you remember playing the... I meant to bring this up when we were talking about it. The GameCube game Geist. Remember Geist at all? Yeah, I remember So Geist. you could like go into different... That one you could go into objects and stuff too, but it was very much your spirit is leaving and going somewhere else. Yeah. Um, very much getting the vibes from, from this like that, so... But yeah, you're right. And he, he's kind of hopping around and, and doing things. And so there's a mystery unfolding the whole time you're watching this. And you kind of think you know where it's going, but it's kind of twisting and turning. A lot of surveillance video, which makes sense toward the end of the movie. Yep. Uh, they're setting you up for all that kind of stuff. And some uh, pretty solid gun foo. And actually, it's a pretty violent film. Surprisingly yes. violent. I was actually kind of stunned at how violent it was. Uh, and a really solid lead performance. We should say that. I was kind of stunned by that. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's really good. And what's amazing is you will see him, the lead actor, when you're watching the film. But every time you see a reflection of him, it is the person's body he took over. So you're watching this lead actor. And what's really neat from the camera perspective is he passes by a mirror, passes by a window. Anytime there's a reflection and he stops and even looks at it, or even in passing, you see the other person. And the special effects and the CGI that they use to create that, it really looks seamless. There were maybe a couple spots, it might've been a bit wonky, but it never got in the way. And it, and it just really made it totally believable, I think, which was kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I would have loved to have seen sort of a making of on how they did that aspect of it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we talked about it after we watched it, I liked it a lot. I don't think I loved it, 
because there's a lot left on the table. Yes. Like, and there's never really any, I mean, again, the explanation of the spirit changing is a little wonky in my opinion. And then of course the people who are possessed by a different spirit, it's like they don't even, they never even recognize any of that in the film. Like you never really get a scene where one of those characters is like, what, what was I doing? What was that, you know? Yeah, what was that gap? That 12-hour gap? Yeah, that 12-hour gap. I don't know what I did. What was I doing? Yeah, I agree. The conceit with the drugs and stuff was probably my least favorite part of the movie. But besides that, the action is is pretty amazing. Like you were talking about, the camera work, I think, is is stands out a lot. Because I remember seeing that uh, garage shot where the, like, the camera goes upside down. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of these, like, tricks that he's doing that just kind of make it, give it that style. Um, but it's never really, like, I, I never found it distracting or no. like taking away from the film and all. I just thought it was like a cool flair that they added to the film. Um, and again, we're talking about, you know, the third act, I think there's, there's a sequence where you're like, okay, this is the big kind of end sequence at this factory. And then it's not, then there's another one that's even better than the factory. Um, and then I think, uh, sadly, I think the film kind of tails off for me a little bit at the end. Um, with some of the stuff they decide to kind of add. Um, but besides that, I, I, you know, if we were like, Hey, let's watch this one more time before we leave. I, I, I would be like, okay, for sure. Cause I think it's one of those films. It's got like that twist. That's really, I don't know if it's like a big twist. Cause you kind of see some stuff coming, but maybe trying to look for a little bit more clues along the way. Like, do they give hints at what's going on a little bit earlier than the, than the film actually shows you. Um, but it's one of those films, right? Where, you're just always kind of waiting for the plot to unfold. Um, Cause you know, at some point in time, they're going to explain what's causing this and who killed who and w- you know, what's going on. Um, so it kind of always is dangling that carrot in front of you. And I always enjoy those films too. And then you just don't want like the gun work and the, the gun foo and the, and the actual, you know, hand to hand stuff. And yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch, especially with a group. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I, I, what I love about this thing is it, it takes something like what Christopher Nolan tried to do with Tenet. Uh-huh. Tenet was very confusing to me, and it looked great in some sequences, but the fact that I really, really struggled with what was going on in the rules of the universe, to the point where you'd have a character go, don't, don't even worry about it, just feel it or whatever, you know, try, yeah. stop trying to dissect it. My brain doesn't work that way. Well, you summarize this film in four sentences. Try to do that with Tenet, and you're, there's no way you can do that. Yeah. So uh, I, I like this type of movie where you have a simple premise. And you may say, well, the drug aspect or how he gains this ability, it may lack something in detail. And there may be some details where they don't spend enough time with the person after that 12 hours ends of them kind of going, oh, what happened? They, they hint at it. So the very first body that he comes out of, the guy's on the phone, he's like, I don't know what happened, I woke up here, et cetera. They hint at it, but you never get the full impact of it. I do like the fact that towards the end of the film, the the bad guys start to figure out something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And once they, they don't know exactly what's going on, but they do know when somebody starts acting funny, they just know at that point, okay, they're in danger and they're not surprised by things anymore. So the progression of it to where they are being surprised and they can't figure it out to the point where they go, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we do know that this person's starting to act weird. So we have to kill that person. Right. 
it it feels like a Christopher Nolan film, but with the surprises and the twists and the logic put down into sort of a plain cinema language. Yeah, it's not trying to overcomplicate itself. It's not trying to dazzle you with its complexity. It wants you to understand what the rules are. And again, the thing I like about movies is once they establish the rule set, do they stick to it? Mm-hmm. And and I think this film does. It plays out with its logic and everything else. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it all makes sense within the, the world of the movie, certainly. And there is a really good scene where one of the henchmen, that's really the only time, well, that's the first time you start to realize somebody might think something is off. It's almost like they notice the physical attributes of a previous character in another character and he's kind of looking off and of course he don't want to say anything because it sounds like crazy shit yeah. right like who's gonna believe you yeah nobody's gonna believe i'd say that shit out loud nobody's gonna because i can't believe i'm <laughs> even thinking that and uh so it's a far-fetched film but it, within its own universe it 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 makes more sense than tenet yes Although I did like some of the ideas in Tenet. I should say that. I want to get that out there. Yeah, I, I like some of the ideas, but I feel like it's so dense um, that I can't I can't make that determination if Tenet sticks to its rules or not because I spend half of that movie confused. Yeah. And, and even when I sat back, um, and what's funny is I got to see it with Randy, and <laughs> we, Randy Cameron and I kind of walked out of that going, I, I don't know if I liked it or not. And when you, when you read an article and go, well, this is what happens, you go, okay, this kind of makes sense, but I still can't grasp onto its element. I just, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. There's, there's going to be a balance between, yeah, I'm challenged as a viewer, but I have to enjoy the, the film as well. Yeah. I mean, Tenet is such a Christopher Nolan film. It's, it, it's like achingly so. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think this film invokes, from what I'm, I was reading, like face-off memento in the Bourne series, and I get every one of those. Yeah, a little John movie. Wick in there too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though I've never seen a John Wick film, I've talked about this, <clears throat> but I know. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, you did, yeah. You didn't know that? Oh my god. Okay, but I, I know. I didn't yeah, I know what it's about. So I mean, that's the other sensation I kind of got from this, even though I haven't seen a John Wick film. Yeah, it's it is really. I don't want to. See, with this kind of film, I, I don't want to insult it by saying it's a greatest hits of the movies that you mentioned, Brad, because I still think it has its own identity. It does. The camera work makes it unique. Yeah, I think the camera work and um, the main uh, performance by Yoon K. Sang as uh, Kang Yi, yeah. the, the agent, mm-hmm. I, I think those two stand out the most of this, and it makes it... It's a fun movie to watch, but it's also a great mystery. I am curious to watch it again to see... Now that you know how it's going to unfold, yeah. it, is it that much more enjoyable? I have a feeling it will be just because of the polish, the camera work, and also the central performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great sound as well. We should say that. Yes. <laughs> it is a robust 5.1 soundtrack. So it will, if you have a good home theater set up, that thing's going to push the limits for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, any, any, anything else well, on that Speaking of getting better with age, Troy. What? Speaking of getting better with age. Our next film. Our next film? Oh, oh. I thought you were talking about Troy. <laughs> yeah, and Troy, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I am getting better with age. Yes, I agree. <laughs> wow. So, Nathan, this is now you come into the discussion because you, you missed day one of Dreadnought and Spirit Walker. Uh, night one, though, you did participate in a viewing of Ninja 3, The Domination. Yes, I did. Was this your first time seeing this film? It was. 
Wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it may. I'll probably, well. So I got to ask this. Uh, and just real quick, I, I want to do a quick little plug. So if you want to hear an amazing review of Ninja 3 The Domination, go over and listen to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. They've talked about this one. If you want to hear some amazing ninja talk, also go to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema because we <laughs> we participated in a conversation on Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja. So yeah. that's one and two. This is the third one. Uh, and for us, we've we've talked, and by us I mean Brad, myself, and Sammy. We've we've shared our love of of the ninja film. Nathan, we got to know where you stand on ninjas in general. Uh, I like ninjas more than pirates. Okay, that's good. They also beat robots. Ninjas beat robots. I agree yep. with that. Okay. Um, now, I don't know if ninjas beat ghosts, but I don't have to choose with that with this film because we kind of have both. <laughs> yeah. I, Valid, I, point. Valid point. Have you seen the other two ninja films? Uh, if I have, it's been long enough. I don't recall them. Okay. If I have, it's not been, it's been a while. So, all right. So you want to explain the plot of this? Oh boy. <laughs> As a first time watch, I'm curious how you would, uh, how would you describe it? Like you're, you go home and you talk to your wife and you're like, wow, my East coast trip. I saw this movie, Ninja three, the domination. And when she's like, Hey, what was that about? Tell me about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was a horrible Natalie impersonation. Um, well, dear, it starts with a ninja. Yes. Except he's not a ninja until he goes into a cave and puts on mascara. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. So ninja mascara plus mm -hmm. the equipment mm -hmm. and then tries to carry out an assassination. On a, on a what? On a it golf course? Like on a Tempe <laughs> golf course. <laughs> Pretty sure you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes as planned, but then not as planned eventually. And it leads to <laughs> not being destroyed, but being destroyed. It's this weird hybrid of this is where the ghost portion comes into the film. And then there's a sword that is found. By who? By she works for a utility company. And she's an aerobics instructor as well, right? I think so. Aerobics instructor she's slash phone repair woman. Yeah. Yep. Slash. Yeah. Amateur dancer. Amateur. Well, look. And amateur video game player. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Bouncer. I mean, Bouncer. she owns arcade cabinets in the 80s. Yes. So she's clearly making good money. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. does have a nice setup. She really did. She, she, she nice owns place. an arcade that has, or an arcade cabinet that hasn't ever been released as uh -huh. a prototype. So you got to have, you got to have some money so for that. maybe she's a video game inventor as well. Like she may have a invented programmer. It. Yeah. Maybe they dropped that plot point. Maybe they thought it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's too much for Ninja <laughs> three. Yeah. That, that was a plot point that was okay. a bit too far. So then a possession happens. So yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So she, she and the ninja have an exchange. Yep. And, and then there's the revenging. The revenging. Is that a word? Over and over. I mean, it might as well be. Okay. Yeah. Who is she revenging against? <laughs> those that destroyed the unkillable ninja. Right. Okay. Because we do learn that only a ninja can, can kill a ninja, but yes. the first part of the movie has destroyed that theory because n none of those guys were, were ninjas. I don't mean to interject here, but Troy, you have this extensive background in martial arts. We've seen lots of samurai movies, and Asian people seem to operate under higher PSI than <laughs> everyone else. Yeah. 
and this ninja takes like 50 rounds and about 100 shotgun rounds into him and like keeps going can, yep. can you is there a body hardening technique or something that was at play here or was it just cocaine screenwriting well i think it's a little bit of both um i i think at some point you can toughen your body up uh, to resist a lot of damage right uh, but when you add cocaine to that, you can do pretty much anything. <laughs> so I, I do think this ninja was coked out of his mind yeah. and uh, was able to do a heck of, I mean, he outran police cruisers well, and chasing after him. I mean, helicopters, behind, motorcycles. Yeah. 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 Behind the scenes, I'm watching the George Carlin documentary the whole time I'm up here. And I can agree that everybody that's ever done that much cocaine believes they can do anything. Yes. So. That there is true. Go. Until the heart stops, it, it works pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He 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 had a lot of good uh, cardio. I think yeah. that that yeah. guy could run. Oh, but, and Shogusugi. We should mention that. Well, yeah, he shows up <laughs> a little bit uh, in the middle of the film. Yes, yeah. about that. Yeah, with with an eye patch. So he is a pirate. A pirate. So you're wrong, Nathan. No, he's a because ninja. the ghost ninja still beats the pirate. The ghost ninja still beats the pirate. Right. What oh, he. No, I thought no, the he, pirate, the pirate beat the ghost ninja. No, the yeah, pirate ninja beats the ghost ninja. The pirate ninja. Okay, so yeah. there, that's yeah. he yes. is a pirate sorry. ninja. Yeah, we've, yeah. Okay, so that's a deadly combo. A pirate ninja. That's a lot of red string. I'm sorry, I'm trying yeah. to keep up. <laughs> that is. Uh, yes. So you you basically have a film that is a combination of, oh my gosh, um, the Exorcist. The Exorcist <laughs> meets Revenge of the Ninja meets uh, Flashdance, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And right. in the 80s, you can dance your problems away. Like if, if your house is, is just doing its whole poltergeist thing, turn on the turn on the music and dance it off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this mixes pretty much all of those 80s genres into one, and it's not uncommon for canon to do this at this time. They were looking for anything to get a hit, and uh, they threw everything at the wall on this one to try to see what stuck. <laughs> it it is interesting. So I had always thought uh, this this is one of the films that we were going to pick. Like we were going to do an entire episode around it uh, for for a podcast called Not a Bomb. Now, critically, it's at the bottom of the barrel, right, Brad? Oh yes, I think it's what like forty four percent or something like that. Yeah, and IMDb, I, I think it's three point something out of ten. Yeah. However, financially, it 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 made some money, right? Yeah, it made I think almost eight million dollars on a two million dollar budget. So this yeah. is at, at the point where, you know. The Ninja film was still pretty popular because um, when was Revenge? Was Revenge the year before? Yeah, I think, I think so. It was eighty three. Yeah, yeah, so we're still, um, yeah, eighty three. So we're still kind of in that uh, in that period where Ninja films were still important. Um, God, Revenge of the Ninja was fourteen million dollars. That's a lot. So you know, diminishing returns on those. But this one is the most weird of the three, which is saying a lot. <laughs> Yes, uh, I. <laughs> that's an understatement, man. I can totally understand why this movie has a cult following, 100%. It, it does every, it's basically taking all the elements of every 80s genre out there between horror movies, the musical, and uh, action films and tries to put it into, into 90 minutes and make, make the star out of um, Lucinda Dickey which is an interesting concept. She's also the star of Breakin', Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, and she was supposed to make Breakin' 3, 
And I think she was supposed to be the Sharon Stone part in the Alan Quartermain films. That's right. Yes. She but, had a, like a five-picture deal or yeah, something. She, she was also in uh, Cheerleader Camp as well. Wasn't that that yeah. horror? Yeah. She had a bad experience. Well, her and the Golden Globus guys, they uh, did not see out after this film. Right. So. Okay. Well, Brad, you've seen this like a dozen times, right? Oh, gosh, yes. So we got to watch it with a group of like nine people. Um, Which is the best night. way to see this movie. Yes, I agree 100%. Uh, what, what did you think about this one? It's still a lot of fun. I hate to describe films as fun, but that's what this is. It's one of those, get a group of guys together. We were definitely uh, riff tracking over this movie quite a bit. Of course, very beginning, a, a man walks into a cave, exits the cave as a ninja, slaughters men on a golf course, which is pretty great. Um, you know, then there's the whole uh, guy who is the police officer who takes off his shirt, who still looks like he's wearing a shirt. Nice. Um, nice man, hair yeah. sweater. That hair sweater is, wow. uh, yeah, a, a lot. Um, you know, Shokazuki wears an eye patch that looks like a, you insert a coin to start playing him. <laughs> um, of course, there's the infamous V8 scene, which still makes no sense. Um, Product placement. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, when you when you say there is an erotic V8 scene, I... I yeah. It's, sure, yeah. yeah. That's accurate. Yeah, it's accurate. That happens. Um, but at the end of the day, it's ninjas. We have the magical sword. Um, <laughs> this movie is hard to, hard to kind of rationalize why you like it just because it's ridiculous and it has kind of the kitchen seat syndrome where it's, just, it's got everything. Um, and I, I think that's why I kind of like it. I don't know. I, I, I keep trying to think what's my hierarchy of these three. And I think this might be my second favorite one behind revenge. Um, because it's so ridiculous. Um, you know, at one point in time, a ninja is drilling itself into the ground and it's, it's one of those things. I just wish there maybe could have been more fire, like ninjas blowing fire at each other. But besides that, it's got everything. So, okay. All right. Sammy, what, what, what about you? Like you uh, said, I, you've, you've talked uh, ad nauseum about this on yeah. the show. Well, I mean, my favorite thing about films like this is just the insanity of them. And this is kind of what we grew up on was these insane movies that people would put these genres and mix these genres together. And it's like, you know, it seems like a good idea maybe when you say it out loud and then the execution is faulty a little faulty um or maybe did they make the film that they wanted exactly yeah maybe but i think you know in this case uh this is throwing like i said everything at the wall see what sticks but because of that it's come out as this unique kind of cult film um it stands out even from that ninja trilogy uh amongst the three um i mean it's probably my third favorite of the bunch i, I do like the other two more but the other two do not even come close to the bonkers that this one is. Uh, Lucinda Dickey's fun in the film. She's not I could good. <laughs> yeah, I could see where they tried to make her a star. I think if she'd have gotten with the right directors, maybe the right people, she could have maybe been a star, a bigger star. A few more acting classes, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, she yeah. she has something. She does. Just not enough of it at that point. But again, it's early. I mean, she she didn't do a whole lot, so... Shokasugi is interesting in this one, deciding not to wear the ninja mask and go with the eye patch. I don't know what that decision was. I, uh, I think that was his decision. It he was his decision. Yeah. I do know that, but I don't know if he just got tired of wearing the ninja co costume. <laughs> Every time he came over here, they're like, you got to put this on. I'm like, oh, they only see my eyes. 
Um, now they see my eye. Yeah. Now they're going to get one of my eyes. You got to give me $10 million to get the other eye. It's a, it's a bizarre movie. I'll be the first to admit it's not a very well-made movie, but it's amazing in its authenticity because it's just so out there. The possession angle, the love scene, the hot tub scene. Which again, we talked about this before. There's always a hot Every tub. Every ninja movie in the 80s, you have to have the hot tub. You have to have the catching the sword with your bare hands. Yeah, which we do here and there. The Kujikiris. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it goes through the checklist and says, yeah, we, we made a ninja film in the 80s because we have all these things. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, and it's also a vengeance film because obviously there's vengeance to be had here. Yeah. No movie I can think of even remotely comes close to the ridiculousness of a ninja running around on a golf course yeah. in broad daylight. No, yeah, this movie starts off with a bang. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah. here we go. We're going on this golf course to kill like these something you'll never, men. you've never seen before and probably never seen since. Well, let me ask you this, because that first uh, 15 minutes or so is insane because you've got car chases on a golf course, um, helicopters, explosions. <laughs> uh, it just it, It's ridiculous the amount of stuff that's going on. Do you think the rest of the film lives up to that first 15 minutes? Well, I mean, the love scene does. <laughs> the hot tub scene does. Touche, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think the show in the, in the Ninja at the end has some yeah, pretty good moments, too. It's a good final battle, yeah. right? I think the timing of some of the, uh, the revenge assassinations is, like, there's even, like, the funeral. Like, you have a whole oh, mass yeah, yeah. of cops at a funeral, and then you go to kill a couple other cops for revenge and end up killing even more cops. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's not well thought out, No, but I think it doesn't matter that the logic doesn't work because it's so much fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'll say. But I mean, like, again, I think, I don't think it's a very well-made film, but I think it's an incredibly fun movie to watch. Yeah. And I can watch it by myself. I can watch it with a group and I've watched it. I mean, even though I think it's the lesser of the three, I've probably seen this one the most. Because okay. it's so insane that it, and it just like it's like what the, what is going on? Who is thinking of these things? And uh, if you look through Sam Furstenberg's filmography, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. But this was that golden era of Canon Films just kind of doing whatever the hell they could do to make a buck and churning out these low budget films and uh, you know turning a profit. I mean, was it say six million dollars it made? Or yeah, something? almost in and almost returned you know, eight. Yeah, seven point six million off a two million dollar budget. Yeah, so I mean that's a good return. It's a low investment for that, considering what they got back. Yeah, it it kind of um, I, I don't know. It's uh, it is a unique film. It is. It, I would rank it third out of the three films. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And and I still I still think Sho Kasugi, as an action choreographer, has a little bit too much Peking opera style in his choreography. Yeah. Uh, which is why I would always prefer like Enter the Ninja um, over the three, and then Revenge of the Ninja. I think he might be a better actor than he is an action choreographer. I I was just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I actually love watching Shokasugi. I think as um, I like Lucinda Dickey. Don't get me wrong, but I think she's from Kansas. Don't lie. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Uh, the problem that I have with this is I don't feel like there's enough Shokasugi in it. That that's my uh, only yeah, drawback. Is, it is a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. I think it's, there's too much of the Harry Cup <laughs> <laughs> in, in more ways than one. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely in more ways than one. But 
that's kind of the weakness of the film, I think. I, I sometimes like how they hold uh, Shokasugi back because he makes an impact every time he shows up. But yeah. on, oddly, even though he doesn't talk a lot in the film and stuff, he's one of the most interesting characters in the movie. Yes, That cop is such a wet noodle that it's, it's unbelievable. Like every time he talks, it's even worse than listening to Dickie for me. I agree. I mean, you get some, you get some great, I don't want to call them cameos, but when like James Hong shows up to try and oh, yeah. exercise the DNA, which I always forget about. Yeah. It's a fun sequence and it really highlights. Um, I don't know that some, some of those sequences feel like Hong Kong eighties horror films. Well, we talked about that, right? We're talking yeah. about Japanese culture with ninjas and they decide to go to a Chinese mystic. Right. To solve a Japanese problem. <laughs> it just seems like a... That's uh, very racist in my opinion. Yeah, it just seems like like you would not be able to get away with that today. <laughs> <laughs> somebody would blast you on Facebook or Twitter for doing that today. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody like John, who feels that yeah. uh, Bushmills did cultural appropriation for the Korean tacos, yeah. Yeah. would look at this and go, look, not all Asians are just Asians, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. There's I mean, there's definitely... I mean, I'm not a expert but there's got to be differences between chinese mysticism and japanese mysticism i off the top of my head i can think of about 15 of them yes uh no it's it, you know if you if you go and look at uh, something like mr vampire from the 80s oh <laughs> i mean there we go. that is an amazing film mm-hmm. um it's got some great martial arts in it but it, as a horror film it's just got this unique take to it right and ninja yeah. 3 kind of for me fall it it falls in line with almost like mr vampire yeah. In that it is a combination of the spooky with the action where the spooky isn't really that spooky. It's probably more interesting than spooky. Yeah. And for those of your listeners who don't know, Chinese vampires hop. Yes. They don't. Which yeah. is an, I have no idea where that comes from. Yeah. They're, they're bound. They hop. Instead of using holy water, you use purified white rice. And it's, uh, <laughs> it almost sounds racist amongst them. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's got a unique look to it. It's a lot of fun to watch. Like I said, it's not scary. It's just something where you go. Um, and, and, you know, again, we, we, we were kind of talking about this with Spirit Walker. Ninja 3, the domination, has a set of rules. Only a ninja can kill a ninja. And you got to do all this other stuff. It sticks to it for the most part. Yes. And I think you should watch it just for maybe the first 20 minutes, too. Yeah. I, I don't think it ever hits the height of the 20 minutes, but the stuff that comes after the 20 minutes is still a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I think you have to see it. Yeah. I don't know if you have to see it over and over again, but you have to see it. If you love movies, I think you need to experience this one. Yeah. And maybe once is all you'll ever need, but you got to have it once. (sighs) I, I, mm, I think I, it's one of those films I think is, is a lot more fun. The more you watch it, especially the more times you watch it with people. people. I think anybody that decides to watch it, will add it to their rotation. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't clarify that a little bit, but I think most people will be like, uh, I don't know. And then they'll watch it and they'll be like, I got to show this to Jim Bob. Yeah. You know, Jim Bob will love this. And then Jim Bob will be like, oh, I got to show this to Joe Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, Nathan, is, is this one you're going to go back and show your friends now that you've been exposed to it? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the drinking rules that won't <laughs> obliterate us within five minutes. <laughs> Good luck. Don't do throwing stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time a ninja gets shot, you take a shot. Yeah. You'll Ooh, be, that'd, be, yeah. that'd be up there, too. Wow. You'll be passed out the no first time. No one will remember the movie ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think this would be one that you would have a lot of fun with your brother, oh, yeah. your set of friends, everything. Yep. Um, are you are you interested in going back to watch the other two ninja films now? For sure, I, I'm. I probably would set aside a weekend to just watch the whole trilogy. 
Okay. You know they're unrelated, correct? Yeah, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I have a question about that. So the only I mean, background... Show, I think Show gets off of an airplane in every one of those movies. Well, I don't think he does not Enter the Ninja. I know he does in Revenge and in Enter, in uh, Ninja 3. Uh, yeah, in Enter, he definitely gets off an air. I don't think, in Revenge, I don't think he does get or off maybe an airplane. Maybe he doesn't. That, well, they were in Japan. Oh, I don't think you see him get off the airplane. He just shows up in America with yeah. his son. Yeah. Oh, that's Blind Fury. He gets off of an airplane for Blind Fury. That's right. He yep. does get off the airplane. Yep. yep. Okay. That's that one. Yeah. A lot of scenes of Shokasugi getting off airplanes. Yeah, getting on a- <laughs> Oh, man. That would be that would make a great montage video for you. Imagine him saying, hey, look, okay, I'll, I'll do this film, but I got to get off an airplane. <laughs> yeah. He's reading the script. I don't my see an airplane scene. I got to go through TSA. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite part. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, Nathan, go back and watch the others. I, I will say this of all of the trilogies or franchises that maybe came out in the eighties. I think this is, uh, one that doesn't get enough love when you think about the Ninja series. Now that we've talked, I mean, you know, especially the three of us have talked about all the Ninja films within the last, what month, maybe two months, yeah, a couple months. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think these Ninja films get enough love, um, from just the general consensus. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, there's so many questionable ninja films out there. Yeah. Uh, anybody that's ever went down that road would. But these are three of the most influential. And, um, yeah, I think everybody should check them out. Yeah, and, and each have a unique style. I mean, this is Sam um, Furstenberg directed Revenge, but it still yeah. has enough it's of its way own. way different. Yeah, if you told me it was a different director, I would have believed you. Uh, yes, yes. I don't know how much uh, Golden Globus got involved with some of Furstenberg's later stuff once he became Cannon's guy for a while, mm-hmm. but uh, he started out pretty much a more subtle filmmaker and became a more, I wouldn't say obscene, but certainly a bit obtuse <laughs> Okay, uh, a filmmaker after that. And all of his films, it seems like after Ninja 3 and Breaking 2, all feel very disjointed. He did American Ninja 2, right? I think he either did two or three. I don't remember. He didn't do American Ninja 1. I know that. He might have done two. Okay. I, I thought he directed one of the American Ninja films. Which also kind of feels disjointed. Yes. If I recall. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Michael Dudikoff is no Shokasugi or Lucinda Dickey. Correct. Correct. It says you're American Ninja. Yes. That was after Breaking 2. Yep. Okay. American yeah, Ninja would, 1 or American Ninja 2? American Ninja 1. Oh, so he did do American Ninja and then 1. Then Avenging yeah, Force, would. then American Ninja 2. Okay, so he did 2. Yeah. I guess he didn't do 3 and 4. That's how many he, How many American Ninja movies are there? There might be five. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think they transitioned from Dudikoff to David Bradley for a little while. Oh, that's right. They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, they were always trying to kind of interior. Canon was always trying to generate their own star. Yeah. Uh, they were using Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris a lot. That's if you've right. ever seen the Canon documentary, it's pretty great because they have all these action scripts and they had a Chuck stack and a Charles stack. Yep. So even though they're both named Charles, <laughs> they, uh, one was the Chuck stack, then the one was the Charles stack. And sometimes the Chuck stack would get over to Charles and Charles would pick the Chuck film and vice versa. That is a great documentary. There's two documentaries about um, yeah. Canon films that yeah. are actually it's, both it's pretty the good. It's the story of Canon films and then the, the Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Yeah. yeah. And then it's a great story of excess, 80s excess too. Yes. But they were actually, like, we talked about this on our show, right? They were, they saw the future. They saw the superhero films are going to be huge. And they kept trying to make these superhero films and could never get them off the ground. They eventually did get, I guess, Superman Quest for Superman Peace. Superman 4. Yeah. yeah. They eventually did get one off the ground. It seems like there may have been another one. 
But they tried so hard to get Spider-Man off the ground. And, I mean, James Cameron was on board, and they were working so hard. I can't imagine what that film would have been. I mean, Cameron's he's a filmmaker that leaves me cold sometimes, but I got to say it would have been interesting to see that Spider-Man film. <laughs> In some multiverse, it happened. Well, good thing is now Marvel set that up, right? So yeah, absolutely. Cameron can come back around and do a canon. Oh, yes, Spider-Man and just film. because you're on the show, the Apple. We just bring up the Apple just because you're here. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Apple. I mean, canon is... <laughs> We haven't talked about the apple in a few months. It's time yeah, to. Yeah, yeah Randy's up. here. The apple's relevant. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, anything else on Ninja Three: The Domination? No. Nope. Watch it. Watch it. I agree. So the next one was another. Um, I picked out uh, three films, and I told you guys you could pick one of these three. I think I picked two Korean films and a Hong Kong film. Correct. And uh, the unanimous vote was for um, Skinny Tiger and Fatty Dragon, starring the one and only Samuel Hung. Now, at, was I the only one that had ever seen this film? Yes, I've, I've only ever heard of this film. This is one that's eluded me for years. And uh, just, I mean, I've had an opportunity to watch it, but just in our general, general bootleg. Uh-huh. And uh, I think the subtitles I had were kind of wonky or something, but... Never had a chance. You had talked about it about two or three weeks ago on your rewatch, or maybe it was your rewatch, right? Because you had seen it before. Yes. Uh, I, I, is it 88 Films had just done a special edition of it? Mm-hmm. So I I had to see it at this point. And, of course, I like uh, Phil Mock as well. Is that his name? Carl Mock. Carl, Carl Mock. Sorry. Yep. Not Phil. Sorry, Phil. Carl. <laughs> yeah. Directed I've by Larkar Wing. Yeah, I've seen Enter the Fat Dragon. Okay. But I've never seen this one. This one. The original Enter the Fat Dragon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have a question because um, I know everybody's familiar. Now, Nathan, you had never seen this either, right? Correct. I had not. But everybody's familiar with Samuel Hung because, I mean, he's he's well, one of the three, know, right? We know you, yes. Yes. So we got Jackie, Samuel, and Biao. Yep. He also crossed over into America for a little while. He did. TV show, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Martial Law. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But I'm curious about Carl Maka. So uh, what what exposure? I think we talked a little bit about this. Are you guys familiar with the Aces Go Places or the Mad? I think they were called Mad Mission films. Mad Mission in America, yeah. I am. Okay. Uh, now I haven't seen all of them, but I know him from that and a few other things. He's a very unique kind of looking uh, Chinese actor. Um nice little beard he wears and he's very funny he's not the most athletic but he's like serviceable yeah um but he's he's got his comic timing is really good and it translates well to american audiences like a lot of the interaction between the two here is pretty good it reminds me of buddy cop films yeah that we all loved right i would say he's funnier than he is athletic certainly yes yeah yep he's the he's the comedic relief A, a lot of people in this film you always refer to him as baldy yeah, because he's yeah. bald. He's got that uh, that I don't know goatee, goatee thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he is super interesting. So he has a bachelor of science degree in electronics engineering. He is known as much as an actor, but if, if you kind of think about it, um, he founded Cinema City. Okay, mm. and he's one of the ones that got Sam Hung to kind of leave Golden Harvest to start making films. He's credited with 35 films as an actor, 30 films as a producer, seven films as a writer, and 10 films as a director. Right. 
and most people know him from the Aces Go Places film series that he did with Sam Hui. Uh, and and th- those are a lot of fun. This one, I it's always been one of my favorites. It is loosely, and I mean loosely, I feel a remake of a 80s film called Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. You know, even down to why everybody's watching a sunset, but instead of doing the Caribbean, they're doing it in Singapore. Right. But the story is very similar, right? It's two cops who um, kind of go outside the law. They're trying to take down a bad guy. They do it at all costs, and they finally decide after going on vacation, they want to quit, but they get dragged back into it. So it's it's the same premise as Running Scared. Um, and again, you, it's directed by uh, Lockhart Wing. This one, I think, is a prime example of your 90s. Now, this got released right in 1990. But I think it's your prime example of your 90s buddy cop action comedy film in Hong Kong. Mm. I mean, it's at the pinnacle of it. Since this was a first time watch for all of you, I've seen this I don't know how many times. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Sammy. What do you think of this one? Um, I liked it quite a bit. I will say it's a bit uneven. Uh, some slow parts. Uh, some very strange drama elements mixed yeah. in there. I'm not saying I don't, you don't need those, but... I don't know. They were just kind of weird. It's got that Hong Kong melodrama in some yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah. Some really strange stuff. But the interaction between Hong and Maka is the best part of the film. And uh, they are two of the wackiest cops I've ever seen. Uh, and their working style is very, very weird. Um, Samo Hong's playing his kind of uh, out-of-touch character here, which he does really well. When I say that, I mean he's a good person. Um, but he seems to be oblivious to the world around him. He's very naive. Yeah. He's naive. He's innocent. He seems obsessed with uh, manga and comics and and seems to live in his own world. And the Maka character is kind of always guiding him. But Hung's also the muscle yeah. of the group. And he does arguably or inarguably or however you want to look at it, one of the best Bruce Lee impersonations, which... Makes a lot of sense because, you know, Hung actually knew Bruce Lee yes. and worked with him some. So um, it, if you're in, in for that, it's one of the better impersonations you'll ever see. It's a lot of fun. It's way over the top for the record. When I say impersonations, I don't mean it's spot on. But it's spot on in that way that he's almost making a parody of it, a satire of it in some ways. And, of course, Hung is amazing in this. Um, he is all over the place. I, we we talked about this while we were watching. We still can't. Nobody can ever figure out how he generates so much movement for such a round person. <laughs> uh, it sounds funny to say, but I mean that's what he is. He's just he's this big ball of meat, and it's all uh, muscle. Yeah, that and he guy, just moves around. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's just a big guy, and he just looks. At first, you think he looks out of place, but then you realize like he's the central action performer of the whole thing. Because, again, Maka's not doing a lot of stuff here. Uh, but he is doing stuff. They're both doing quite a bit. Um, but the comedy I like quite a bit. I like especially that that finale because Maka's getting himself into stuff. And he realizes he's he's outmatched. So he'll always yell for Fatty to come over and take care of the situation. He's just at that. Whenever a fight breaks out, he kind of goes into full like Terminator mode. Like he's just going to destroy everybody. Um, but the comedy is really good. It, I think it translates well to America. Sometimes these Asian comedies, like Italian comedies and everything else, they don't always translate very well. They got to be pretty broad. And this one's got a lot of slapstick in it. 
and it's pretty broad. Yeah. Um, but it works, but it is uneven at times. Like I don't, I don't even know, honestly, if we needed the whole sequence of them going to Singapore in hindsight. It feels like a different film at that it, point. It does. Yeah. I mean, there's some good stuff in there. You you get it's this Michael funny. Jackson yeah, the, in person, Samuel Hung dancing, Carl Maka yeah. karaoke. Yeah, I'd never give that up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a unique it moment. It might be the setup for just that. Yeah. yeah, but it's just like, it's it's a weird moment in that movie. And uh, even though, it was 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 100, yeah. and, 100 and something minutes, I think. It does feel a little uneven at times. It really does. But I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. It's uh, it's one I'll definitely be showing people. And uh, people, I will be pushing it hard. Because it was, it was a lot of fun. I think the title, sometimes these titles that they come out with, I don't think they do them any favors. Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon. It just sounds like, well, maybe that's probably going to be pretty silly. I don't know if I'm going to watch that. But it's not as silly as you think. It's pretty serious at times. It, and it's weird that they borrow uh, the poster from Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. Outside of Total Recall is very popular, and they're I think they're trying to ride. Yeah, I mean, it's a great poster, but yeah. it makes no sense to the film at all. None. Yep. I mean, it's like those damn uh, Turkish posters or those ridiculous African posters you see yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. for films. It's like, what? That has nothing to do with the movie, but it's amazing. But yeah, no, I really, I really did enjoy it. Uh, the interaction between them. Um, there's a lot of sort of ancillary characters that are just kind of there for fodder, I think. And the lead heavy is great. They set him up as this kind of laid back evil, but laid back kind of non physical presence. And then all of a sudden he becomes this super physical. Yeah. I mean, this amazing, uh, Kung Fu expert out of nowhere. Yeah. You don't expect it at all. Yeah. You don't expect it at all. They dress him up in kind of older, uh, a wig, I think, maybe. Maybe not a wig, but certainly they make him seem older and more removed from action. He has a business suit on the entire yeah. film. and Yeah, and he even fights in that business mm -hmm. suit, right? And it's pretty amazing. And it's, uh, did we say that was Lark, uh, Lark uh, what's his name's uh, brother? Uh, Lark Harwing's brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did not expect that. And even though I I know I'd seen that actor in other places, I'd, I just did not expect that. And I'm like, wow. And he just really kind of comes through in the end. And it's another Chinese film with a warehouse explosion, which they love doing. I guess there was a lot of excess warehouses in the 80s and 90s, and they just need to get rid of them. So the people were like, well, we just got to, as long as you can work this warehouse explosion into the film, you can have this warehouse. Like, okay, It's we'll a good do. explosion, too. I mean, I've seen like 10 films over the last six months with a warehouse explosion on them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. I love a good warehouse explosion, but there's a lot of that going on. You, you do miss it when you see something like that and then you watch film today and you get a lot of CGI explosions, but you see them actually blowing something up and guys jumping from that explosion. It, it just, man. It, yeah, they're always the good old days, right? Yeah, yeah. When you try to kill your stuntman. Yeah, and I love the ending of this one too. I love the, it's not a spoiler to give it away, but I love that they, they ended in an argument. Yes. I, yes. I love that. I think it's hilarious. Freeze frame. Yes. A freeze frame. Freeze frame, yeah. 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 All right, Nate. I know, I know you've seen some Samuel Hung films because I forced them on you. Um, but they're usually with Jackie Chan or, or you know, others. This is, this is um, really a Samuel Hung film and a Karl Maka film. What, what was your take on it? Uh, it's hard to follow up what Sammy said because I agree with everything he said. It, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, some good callbacks, like their interactions with their captain, just the back and forth. It's... A lot of sight gags. If you pay attention to the subtitles, there's some interesting uh, choices in words uh, that aren't always appropriate. 
Yes. But still funny. And the action sequences are just, just wow. Like back then they fell hard and took hits hard. And a lot of that doesn't look comfortable at all. The, the men and women. Yes. Everybody oh, yeah. gets. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot, lot of physical and... abuse to women in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in the lead ups to those are like, don't make me hit you. Don't make me hit you. And then they have to end up hitting them. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree hundred percent. I think there's a, there's a mid sequence in here where they are in a construction site and it is an amazing, I mean, Sam hung is taking out like 50, 60 guys. It's beautiful to watch, right? But it doesn't come close to the last 25 minutes of what they end up doing. That's how good they're The is. knife fight for in particular. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I like I like what Sammy said too. Carl Maka gets into it when he finds out he's sort of out of his league and is, mm-hmm. is asking for his knife back <laughs> from the bad guy. It's those comedic beats that uh, that work 100%. Yeah. All right, all right, Brad, your take. Yeah, I think this film kind of relies on the, the Maka in Samo relationship and, and, and luckily they have a good chemistry together and there is some nice broad comedy. Um, you know, every time you, in these films, you go to a construction site, you know, something's going to go down, you go to a factory, you know, something's going to go down. Um, and, and that plays out in this one a lot. Um, I, I think this one gets a little muddled with a lot of the ancillary characters and, there's like this uh, ladyboy part that's a little weird, and you're like, I don't know how this plays into the actual film, but okay. Uh, Sam Hung's father plays a part in it for like five minutes, um, mm-hmm. and there's this whole thing about them going to Singapore, which feels a little bit out of place for me. Um, I, I just kind of want to see some fighting, um, but Samo is amazing, and I like just his size and his speed. Um, we were talking after seeing Dreadnought, like why Jung Biao kind of didn't get to the heights that Samo and obviously Jackie Chan did. And I kind of see it in this one comparing, you know, Samo in this one to, to Dreadnought. Um, I know that's not completely fair, but there's just something about seeing that man at that size going at that speed. Um, but there's, you know, with these films, I think you want to remember sequences and be like, when someone comes over, if we're not going to watch the whole thing, I just want you to watch this uh, factory scene. And that knife fight, I, I just find it fascinating. Just the speed at which they're going um, and how uh, just those falls these guys are taking. And, you know, we're, I'm trying to look for the back pads and what they're falling on. And sometimes you're like, no, I don't, they're I think there. they're, I think they're taking this fall. I think they're taking that, that kick to the chest. They're just, okay, we're, you're going to get kicked in the chest. Um, this one is definitely one I will, I will revisit again. Um, because it's, it's kind of eluded me for so long, but I, I really liked it. I wish it was maybe 10 to 15 minutes shorter, but I, I think, um, for what it is, it's really enjoyable. Um, yeah, and Samo being Bruce Lee in this is is pretty spectacular. I mean, the nunchuck part as well, yes. like the nunchucks. Good lord. Yeah, <laughs> it it's a hundred minutes that doesn't feel like a hundred minutes. I, I would only, I don't think there's much in this film that doesn't work for me as many times as I've seen it, uh, because the action's fantastic. But I, 
I like the comedy and the interaction that is happening in between the action. And I think it's really interesting because everybody knows Donnie Yen. They know Jackie Chan. I don't think American audiences are as familiar with Yoon Biao and Samuel Hung. I think Dreadnought and this one is a great introduction to them and their careers. Mm, yeah. But it is 100% obvious if you, if you were to kind of sit down and go, well, why isn't Yoon Biao as popular um, as Samuel Hung? You could watch these two films and go, athletically, they're both freaking spectacular. Correct. But mm-hmm. Samuel Hung has that screen presence and charisma, charisma yes. that Yoon doesn't have. He's For whatever a, reason. He's got a unique look, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, we talk about this all the time. Will and I have talked about this, too, over the years. Is Why didn't Yoon Biao become a bigger star? I mean, he has some charisma. Yeah. But he just doesn't have that thing that pushed him over the edge like Jackie and Samo. And and I think Samo did a better job of tapping into it because, obviously, he's doing a lot more directing, action choreography. I mean, he's the big brother out of the trio. Mm-hmm. So I think he had a little bit more experience, knew exactly what he was doing with his image and persona, played into it. I think Yoon Biao was always kind of third string, even though you look at something like Dreadnought and go with the right director, more Yoon Woo Ping films or something of that nature. Could have been much bigger. Could have been, yeah. But I still I still think if you were to take Dreadnought, um, Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, and then even something like Drunken Master 2 and look at Jackie Chan, compare those. It is very clear why Jackie Chan has more appeal than the other two mm-hmm. because he takes what Samuel Hung is doing and even takes it up to that next notch. So it's almost like watching professional sports and going, yep, that person is in the you know, majors, right? That's right. the Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Yep, Samuel Hung is like the next division down, right? And Yun Biao is, yeah, AAA. And then Yun Biao is, is in you know the AA, right? So it's they're great to watch, but you can kind of tell in terms of their acting, um, I think athletically, they're all just amazing, yes. but it really comes down to um, their screen presence, their likability, their charm, their charisma, even their acting skills. Um, I think Samo is right there with Jackie, but I think Jackie um, flexed his a little bit more with Crime Story, which you just talked about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I think they're all fantastic, but if you want a great introduction to other Hong Kong stars, that'll just blow your mind. Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon is a great Samo Hung film, and Dreadnought's a great Yun Biao film. Yeah, I agree. And no offense to Carl, I mean Marka, like Carl Maka, like he's really good in this. Like he's oh, a he funny, yes. a funny guy, and I think it this doesn't work as well without him. A hundred percent. Yes, you are correct. He's the perfect strange straight man to Hung's <laughs> yeah childlike naivete. Naive, naive, naivete. You guys one got it. <laughs> Sooner or later, one of that it's, been, it's been a long weekend. Yeah, that, that ain't coming out this morning correctly. <laughs> but um, I think that works. I think that's what works about it. And he has just, even his facial reactions are great. He's got a lot of charisma, too. He does. Uh, I think I think he's used better in those Aces Go Places movies. Um, I'm going to check those out for sure. Yeah. You, you won't be disappointed. They're good. Okay. They're good. They're funny and they're wacky. They're a little goofier than this one, but I, I think it works with Sam Hui. Yeah. yeah. So, so we did four movies so far. We, we okay. talked about Dreadnought, Spirit Walker, Ninja 3, Skinny Tiger. We're like, yeah, action, so much fun. Oh, boy. And uh, we turned a corner on the next one. So, what was it? Excuse me. Yeah. You doing the sadness? Yes. Okay. This requires like a public service announcement. This film will get you 
thrown out of the house. This will get you disinherited. This film will kill your Mima. If she's down the hall baking, you don't hit play on this. You leave a skateboard in the hallway to, de to deter her. You do not play this film lightly. Thank you. <laughs> that is your public service announcement for the next film we're talking about, which is 2021 Sadness. Um, a Taiwanese horror film, correct? It is. And, and what's funny is uh, our, our good friend Randy, who you just heard, had, had seen this before all of us, uh, had warned us about it. And, uh, which just means we're going to watch it. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just poking the, the bear at that one. Uh, and Sammy, we talked about this too. This movie had been showing up on a lot of people's feeds that they caught it. It's now mm -hmm. streaming on Shutter as of about a week ago. Yeah, so there's a lot of access to it now. Yes. So it's popping up more and more. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had to track down um, the German release, which is on 4K. Right. I think it's supposed to get a Blu-ray release in the U.S. at some point. But Oh, I think it will. Yeah, this this is streaming right now on Shutter. We had a chance to, to sit down and watch it as a group. Um, Randy warned us all. Um, who, who wants to start? I don't know if he warned us enough. He, yeah, he might not have warned us enough. Um, wow, it's... I, I don't think we can put that on him. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, 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 will, I will start off, Troy, if you want me to. Yeah, I just, I just want to say real quick, it's a Taiwanese horror film written and directed by a Canadian filmmaker, Rob Jabaz. And it's his feature film directorial debut. It is heavily inspired by the Crossed comic book series. Um, and, and really the whole premise, it's a Taiwanese couple who are attempting to reunite amidst a viral pandemic outbreak. So it has some topicality to today's COVID pandemic. And they're, they're very upfront about that as well. There, mm -hmm. there is some social, mm -hmm. political commentary in this thing right out of the gate. What's different is this virus, it's not your typical zombie film. And we can talk about that. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I would call this a zombie film. I, would, I, I wouldn't. I would a mental stability film. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's a pandemic film. Yeah. If you're looking at, you know, if you're trying to compare it to something you would probably compare it to any of your pandemic scare movies, right? Like a contagion or something contagion, like that? Contagion. Yeah, yeah that's probably better. Okay. Yep, outbreak. All right, Brad, go for it. Well, I mean, we just said it's not a zombie movie, but I'm going to make a zombie movie comparison. Like, We've seen a lot of these. And if you say, hey, this is kind of a zombie movie where there's an outbreak and it's very timely and they're going to take shots at the U.S. Um, through the lens of a Canadian through the lens of uh, Taiwanese actors, I would be like, okay, that it's interesting. That's a, a way to go. Um, you know, we've we've been through this like uh, 28 days later, and all these films that at some point in time, I'm like, maybe I'm going to be tired of this type of film, this these zombie outbreak pande pandemic movies, especially now um, after we've lived through the last two and a half years. But then you sit down and watch this one, um, and there's about 10 minutes of setup and then about 80 minutes of the most messed up things you'll ever see in your entire life. Um, but there's a twist to it, right? So these, this pandemic is more sexual-based. Um, it kind of turns off that, and it makes this, it alludes to this, well, it doesn't just allude to it. It comes out and says that 
you know, violence and sex in the brain are pretty close together. It gets kind of the people feeling the same way. And this film goes with that premise and uh, the way that it does and the amount of casualties along the way um, and some of the, the visuals. I saw this here with you guys and I will never forget where I was and who I <laughs> saw it with and my reactions to some of the things that I saw. Um, I mean, I might be a little bit psychotic cause, uh, we were kind of yelling out things that we hoped that we saw. Maybe not hoped is maybe, uh, I think that's a crowd predict- reaction. Yeah. That's a typical yeah, crowd predicted. reaction. When you watch it with a bunch of people, you're yeah. like, it's and, gotta go there. And it does. Um, and then it even goes even darker after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those movies where you'll see it and you'll never forget it. This now is in that place of like. Serbian film martyrs inside like it that lives in this part of my brain now. Um, I need to probably wall it off because I don't need to, uh, <laughs> you know, pull in any of these references ever again. But I also liked kind of the, the commentary that it's, you know, talking about. Um, and I, I think it does it really well. Um, talking about, you know, that, our problem with violence and our problem with sex. Um, I like a challenging movie. Um, not only is this challenging with its commentary, but also with some of the visuals. Um, but if you can, I think if you can get people in a room together that you understand that they'll be able to sit through it and they won't judge you as a person, um, watch it with a bunch of people. Cause the reactions that people have is, is pretty, um, that kind of made this film even better for me. Um, hearing all the oohs and ahs and oh no's and <laughs> did they just do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a you, lot of that. Like there's yeah. There's a lot of they're not going to do that. Yeah, they did it. Oh um, my god, they did that. And, and, then, and, and then, then you then can't. What? Oh, and yeah. where are you going? Oh my god. I don't know the amount of blood that spilled in this movie, but it has to be one of the bloodiest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I, I yeah. I, it reminded me of like the lawnmower scene in Dead Alive. I. <laughs> so imagine like that new Texas Chainsaw, the the bus scene, and how much blood is in that. But that happens every like five minutes. Every scene. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's a lot. When you say I love the sadness, it makes you sound like you might be a little <laughs> psychotic. But I kind of love this movie quite a bit. Um, I don't need to rush out and see it again, but I do want to at some point in time. Uh, again, as soon as this was over, I found that German copy that you bought, and I immediately bought it. Um, <laughs> so. You know, I'm I'm excited to at least have it in my collection. Maybe keep it in the safe away from everyone else. But uh, yeah, man, I you watch a movie and it stays with you. Uh, this one's gonna stay with me. Okay, uh, Nathan, it's intense. I really enjoyed it. Back to kind of the social and political commentary. I think contextually, if you watch that maybe ten years from now and haven't lived through these pandemic times, it might be a different experience, but I think if you keep that context in time, it adds quite a bit to it. So um, it has so many moments where you're like, well, I would say it's 90% predictable, and then the 10% that isn't just blindsides. That is an understatement. That's very interesting because you're right. It is playing uh, beat by beat to a typical zombie film but most zombie films stop at a certain point and that 10% when it comes in, it's more of a, 
well, all your zombie films stop here. What if we went one step further and really got depraved? I think it goes like four or five steps over. Yeah, and then you're like, it's not going to do that. It takes that one step, and then you go, you know what? What if we go one more step, and you're like, there's there's no way they're going to show. Oh, they're going to do that. Uh, and it is a combination of showing and telling that is is really a disruptor on your psyche to a certain degree. Yeah. So I, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> Um, as far as watching it again, uh, I, I think this is something dependent on your views on things. You watch it in doses. It'll probably be a while before I watch it again, but we'll revisit it at some point in time. So, Okay. Sammy. Um, so for those who've listened to me for however many years now, they know I like transgressive cinema. And so I was looking forward to this one. Um. It didn't let me down. It really didn't let me down. It's really good. Uh, it's really short. It's about 90 something minutes, maybe, maybe a hundred minutes tops. Yeah, yeah. I think it's right at a hundred. Um, it deals with themes that I enjoy. Uh, I really like the element of the, the brain, uh, being tied so close to violence and sexual behavior, uh, how those things are tied together. Again, I enjoy these things as story elements, not as hobbies. We want to make sure we clarify that. But <laughs> the the truth is, is to me, this is a great example of commenting on human beings and how they handle things. The pandemic is in there. And I think that's very important because what the pandemic did was it kind of showed us who we are or what we are in some ways. Frustrated a lot of us, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, show the best in people and the absolute worst in people. Yeah. And then what they did, what he did here, Ron, was it Ron or Rob? Rob? Rob Jabaz? Rob, uh, Rob Jabaz. Rob Jabaz. What he does here is he, he then creates a physical manifestation of potentially those demons that maybe some of us were dealing with behind closed doors. That's what it felt like to me. And he turns it into, which is, it is a pandemic film. It's, it's, it's essentially kind of like a... Um, uh, 28 days later type of film more than a zombie film. So it kind of gets into that weird. Is it a zombie film? Is it not a zombie film? Um, there's no zombie rules here. Um, I think the, the infected can die. Normally. Via, yeah. Normally even without the head being removed or anything like that. Although if you're worried about that, don't worry. There's plenty of heads being removed, uh, smashed and crushed yes. and mm-hmm. everything else. Both of them. Yeah, there's all kinds of fun stuff with heads in here. <laughs> Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> in redefined. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. anything you've ever want, if you've ever wanted to see head trauma. <laughs> Both of them. Yeah. There's a lot of head trauma in this film. Um, I think it's got a pretty good uh, relationship story behind it, which was nice. Um, it's both gratuitous and yet I think it knows exactly what it's trying to tell us. It's a little preachy, but I didn't mind that because I think, you know, this is a good example of taking something horrific in real life and turning it into a horror film. And we should get, as we often do in the, uh, the realm of horror, we should get a lot of these pretty relevant or interesting horror films coming out of the pandemic. This is the first one I've seen. That's pretty solid. Right. I've seen some other stuff and I've seen some pandemic based films, but this one's definitely coming out and saying this was all a bunch of shit and we had to deal with and we maybe we shouldn't have had to deal with all this stuff. Maybe we could have fixed this before it became what it what it was. 
Yeah. I mean, he's making that comment right, blatantly. And uh, so there's some politics involved here. So some might be turned off by that. Um, but I think it works because most of it feels very real, even though it's absolutely fantastical and insane. I mean, this movie, this is one of those films where I feel like sometimes filmmakers like Gaspar Noé and, and these filmmakers come out and they make these movies and you almost wonder if they're almost embarrassed about what's in their head and they manage to get it out. Now he's a young filmmaker and uh, this feels like a young man's film. This feels like I'm going to punch you in the mouth and you're never going to forget me. Yeah. I might not ever make another movie you like. I might not ever, you might not even like this movie, but you're never going to forget me. And I, and I like that. I like that aggression. I like that, uh, that stamp, that attitude. It's very punk rock. Uh, the movie feels very, I mean, they end the song with a de- the end of the, the movie. credits. Yeah, yeah. With a death metal song, which we looked for almost immediately Ashen. after. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's got that kind of attitude, and I like that attitude. I like that testosterone fueled, anger, hey wake up kind of attitude, and uh, it really worked for me. It really did. I don't pursue gore films much anymore. I'm past that stage of my life. I just, I mean, I like it still, but it's not something like. I mean, there was a time when I had Fangoria magazines and stuff, and I'm like, what's the goriest thing coming out this month? I got to see the gore. <laughs> Now it just kind of it falls in my lap. I'm kind of happy to see stuff with gore in it. I don't have any aversion to it. But this is gore and perversion, but also a very human film underneath it all, which is pretty surprising. I really was surprised by how deep the film was. I really expected it to be a surface-level 28 Days Later type film, which I feel has got some human elements, but I feel it's very surface-level. Is it so? I have a question. Is it deep because of the political commentary, or is it deep because of the relationship between the two leads? For me, it's deep because of the it. It became deep when the lead female character was captured by a virologist. Okay, it became a deeper film at that point. It became a film of human questioning. Nothing with the politics. Nothing with uh, the gore or the relationship. It became a deep film once we started talking about that small, that thin line between pleasure and depravity or pain or perversion. That's when it became interesting to me Um, because I find those things fascinating. What makes one guy go out and kill 25 people but what makes another guy just want to go out and sleep with 25 people? Where does, where, where, where does it go wrong? You know? And I've always found that very fascinating about the human psyche. Why do some of us completely function normally? And some of us don't, you know, it's not just mommy and daddy issues. It's, it's a lot of different things. So I think when it gets into that angle of the film, I find it very much more, it's much more deeper than that. And I don't think it's ham handed. I think it's very well handled. I really do. I think it's a well-written monologue for that uh, that character in a horror film. It's very well-written. It leads to another obscene moment in the film, to say the least. Um, yeah, I just... I, I was... I'm still kind of wrestling with it and what I feel. I liked it a lot. I'm debating on whether I... If I loved it or not. Would I watch it again? Sure, I'll watch it again. Don't know if I'd watch it on rotation, but I don't watch a lot of transgressive films on rotation, but... It's it's certainly like martyrs before it and films like that 
it, it's left a mark on me, which means a lot. Even if the film, I, even if I end up just liking it, I will never forget it. And that's very important. I yeah. think so. I, this is very, this is a movie that I would not find myself talking about the next day. <laughs> so we, we saw it yesterday and I got to say, I, as soon as it was over, um, and I knew I had to go out to the grill and spend a couple hours with cooking raw meat with you guys. Uh, I couldn't have been more happy to be out in the 97 degree weather <laughs> in the sun, sweating my butt off because I, I feel like that 99 minute film was the equivalent of standing next to that 450 degree grill in 97 degree heat. It, it was the same physical, um, I, I don't know. I, I just equate those two experiences to being the same. It's very uncomfortable to watch. I can't find my opinion of it as of yet. Yeah. And it's not something that I would find by talking to you guys or anybody else. It's not a film that I can walk away with. So what, what can I talk about it? I can talk about it from a technical standpoint and say it's beautifully shot. Yeah. I, I think it looks gorgeous. I can talk about it from the technical aspect that in terms of visual effects, makeup effects and everything else, I have not seen anything that original or even that grotesque in years. Yeah. And and it marks all of those things. From its political and social commentary, I think it is spot on. If somebody were to come back to me and say it was preachy, I would say it is actually no more or less preachy than the news today about COVID. Yeah. Has, has anyone seen that movie Songbird? No. no. It's the Michael Bay produced pandemic film. Hmm. If you think this one is preachy, I would go and look at that one. It's that one is so heavy handed and so fear mongering that it like this one looks way, way subtle comparatively. Um, so I think it's, it's hard to get your message across sometimes with pandemic films and not be at least a little heavy handed. Cause to be honest with you, a lot of people will not pick up on that. If you don't at least kind of show the mask on the ground or do something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when you look at the other stuff that you can compare to like songbird, that was the last like pandemic film I saw. You'll be like, no, this one is completely subtle comparatively. So, yeah. And, and again, I, I don't even know if it's subtle. I just think it's more accurately representing the way that this information and debate on the pandemic plays out in today's news. Um, it's not, so there's hyperbolic elements to it, but it's, it's not going above and beyond the way that they're describing it in the, in the news today. Uh, yes. There's so much that it could have said to become heavy handed yes. that it didn't, it was almost more of a stating of the facts instead of like adding a spin to it, I would say. Yeah. So, from the technical aspects and all of those things, and even from the storytelling, I like how it would spend a little bit of time with one character, go to the other, and really it's going back and forth until you see the convergence of the characters meet towards the end. So mm -hmm. you get the relationship at the beginning of the film, they leave, the majority of the film they're spent apart from each other, yeah. and the climax is really what happens when they come back together. Right. Mm -hmm. Here is where the film gets me. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad, this is what I'm trying to unpack. And so I'm good. So if you have not seen this film and you're interested in seeing it, stop listening because I'm going to talk about the ending. You'll have a timestamp, oh, okay. right? I'm going to interject one thing. Yeah, go ahead, Randy. On that same point, 
what you see physically in this film is horrifying, but what the characters say, because the disease gives them this gleeful malice towards every other living thing, and what they say and what the dialogue is, I found infinitely worse yes. than yes. what is depicted on screen. It's kind of like when people get drunk and they say that quiet part of the of what they're you know they say the quiet part out loud like they're like oh I just said that because I was drunk you're like well I think you said that because that's what your brain yeah your filter is gone so now these people was like that was one of the parts that I started thinking is like is this what those people really wanted to say and this disease just brought that out. In. Yeah, it's almost like being in a session of riff tracks with you four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, about that. I mean, we don't play that game. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no playing going on. No. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, We're cutting throats. Yeah. No, that's that's very accurate, Randy. I mean, it's the, the amount of stuff that happens on screen probably doesn't even compare to what the people are telling each other that they're either gonna do or what they're thinking about. It's, mm. it's totally crazy. Here's where the movie is a gut punch for me. And I don't, this is what's gonna take me a few days to unpack. So from a plot perspective, she meets a virolo- virologist. I can't yeah, say it right. Virologist, yeah. Virologist, okay. Virologist. So, virologist. Yeah. I don't even really know how you say it. Yeah, virologist. Almost got it right. Yeah. Okay, almost got it right, virologist. So the study of virus, the study, is, the guy who is a uh, virus, virus doctor, virus doctor, <laughs> he injects her with the disease and says, look, if you don't change within about five minutes, you're fine. Okay. Mm. She doesn't change. Mm. Right. So then he's escaping we with think her. She doesn't change. Well, here, here's. <laughs> yeah. This is where I think the movie is extremely. Well, let, let me let me play this out and and why I think it's a gut punch. She doesn't change. I'm gonna say she doesn't change. She yeah. Infects From what her we with can device. see, she doesn't change. From she the doesn't. virus. Yes. She doesn't. So what happens is she finally meets her boyfriend, fiance. And he has changed. Yes. So he is now infected. And what is standing between them is an iron gate. And he and she is breaking down. I mean, she loves him. She can't believe, you know, she all she has to do is turn around and go to the roof and she's going to get on a helicopter. She's gone. Okay. She escapes. Yeah. And she's having this moment with her boyfriend, fiance, and he is basically saying this monologue about how much he loves her and you get this very sweet and tender exchange where it's almost something it's like that scene where you have one of your heroes that are dying and they're trying to impart their feelings yes. and it's it's really it's your, tender it's your and sweet. kirk and spock moment isn't it's it? it's your kirk and spock moment right yeah. so it's yeah. a, a you know a cage that's dividing them versus the nuclear reactor panel whatever and what happens is she is she's just being crushed by all this emotion. And he's basically mm-hmm. telling her, I love you, da-da, you mean all the world to me. And follows that up with all of the things that he wants to do to her, which is basically murder her in the most horrendous way. And he's Different, saying it yeah. in the same uh, emotion, in the same state. Same tenderness. The same tenderness of that I love you is also... I'm going to murder you yeah. and I'm going to enjoy murdering you. Right. 
and you get this next part, it transitions to the point where you're almost like, hold on, what's going on? Your, your brain can't compute with the content because the tone and everything is so sweet and it transitions and it breaks her mm. and it breaks her to the point that at that point she turns not from the virus, but from that exchange and loses all hope and everything in humanity and basically runs out to attack the people on the helicopter. We assume she dies because you hear gunshots and everything else. Yeah, I don't know if she attacks or if we attack her yeah. as the uninfected. But it, but at that point, she That's fair point. becomes yeah. infected. She's infected with an idea. Yeah. As opposed to a virus. Right. And that is the thing, the moment that I think sets this apart from your traditional zombie horror film, et cetera. It's not, and, and this That's is a where political commentary too, because it's, you think about people being infected by ideas. Yeah. 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 It's so crazy to where you, it's basically saying that you as a person can lose everything that makes you a person, not from a virus, but from the lack of love and the lack of, when you take that all of it, when you, when you reach sadness to the extreme, which we talked about the title of this film, right? Like, yes, are, the are, sadness. Are we going to be sad because we watched this? And Randy was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's the gut punch that I'm wrestling with because I think it makes the title of the film that much more relevant. It, it does. It's yeah. weird, and, and I can totally see somebody looking at this and going, "Look, um, it seems like an oversimplified plot. It's get from point A to point B." And from point A to point B, it's just gore, gore, gore. And you have a director or writer who is trying to just um, gross everybody out. Yeah, shock. Shock and all. Like, that's yeah. all this film is. But I think if you take a step back and you look at some of the things that are happening, and then you get to that final moment, it's not just shock and awe, but the most horrific thing that happens is how she loses everything at the end. I think it's more horrific than the heads being gashed in by fire extinguishers or good point. All the other stuff. I mean, that's the stuff that sequence is what stuck with me more than the gore. Like I was so happy to be out in the sunlight <laughs> because for a minute there, I just lost all hope in humanity. Well, it is the most transgressive of cinema. <laughs> I think we all know or have people in our family who have bought into some sort of idea that has been implanted in their brain that they will not that they really truly let go seem infected about. Yes. Know? That it's like, Oh, five G is giving me this. Or, <laughs> uh, this one political party uh, murders babies and all this stuff. And you're like, no amount of arguing or any sort of cure that you can come up with can incure that will like cure that infection inside of their brain to right. change them back to who they were. And Once, there's no shot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, cause they, there is take a, it yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah, now that you said that, I'm like, wow, this movie might have just jumped a whole nother level for me. Well, I think it's that kind of movie. Uh, I really do. I think on the surface, and I, we're talking about it, I think some people are going to hate this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, should, oh, yeah. And I would not, I would not uh, judge anybody for hating it because no, I wouldn't you, have to, you have to get through that exterior. And if you can't get through the exterior of what this film is... Don't even try. Like, yeah. Just forget it. Yeah. If you have any aversion toward violence or gore, it's kind you're, of eating you're gonna, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's way too much. I mean, even for me, who, like I said, I've just spent my time in the past seeking that stuff out. 
but this is i mean this is it's it's heavy heavy gore and yeah. heavy heavy violence so you got to be ready for that yeah it's and it's not a film i could recommend to anybody like i would never rec- i would i would be able to say if somebody would go well, what did you think about the sadness i'll be like i'm going to tell you yeah my experience with the sadness <laughs> but my experience is not recommending it yeah like i i yeah, what kind of person recommends really depends this on what movie you're to people. looking for yeah. and <laughs> yeah randy, randy. <laughs> only one person i know of <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I would feel awkward. I mean, I've recommended violent films to people before, but I would definitely feel awkward if I recommended somebody and they came back and I was like, well, what'd you think? I'm like, well, the sexual depravity was kind of surprising. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, now I feel a little weird. Yeah. I didn't mean to kind of throw you into that. Because but it's it's not even the sexual aspects that I think is that shot. Now, it's, it's shocking in the context of the film. It's Well, so we, Brad brought up the Serbian film. So Serbian film tries to do this. Yeah. And missteps. I enjoy Serbian film. I've seen it one time. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I think it's an interesting, transgressive experiment. I'd never watch it again. I have no interest in ever seeing it again. So that tells me it's not a good film, in my opinion, in some ways. This is totally different. The transgressions appalled me, but they all make sense to the story. Yeah. And they work. To the message. Yeah. And as, and as, a, as in your face as this is, because the story is so good and because the angle he took is so good, I think it's a, it's a rewatchable gory horror film which is not that common i mean i don't rewatch cannibal holocaust i've seen it once those are all too like edgelordy for me this one doesn't come across as being that yeah it it, it, no yeah it doesn't it doesn't there's something else going on here um i mean i'd hate to compare it to somebody like george romero stuff or anything like that but it is one of the first things i think of and of course zombies make for great political satire and and stuff because you know we're commenting on ourselves right with zombies right so you can make a lot of statements with it but what i think i think i said this to you guys when we were watching it it's very interesting to go to taiwan to make a zombie film and you're a canadian and you're talking essentially from a north american point of view of politics i'm not sure taiwan went through the same things we did i don't know didn't do enough research when i make that statement here but Obviously, this is made to sell in the world world market, and the world is a media. America is a media hub, and a lot of what people know about COVID came out of North America, more so than China or anywhere else, because we were told they were lying to us. So yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, so it's very much got a North American point of view. So it's a very weird oddity in that way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some people are going to hate that. I mean, they're really going to hate that. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. Brad groaned a few times. I groaned a few times. They're talking about the housing market and everything else. I'm like, wow, guys. I mean, we're just because it was so like it was on the nose. It was on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Especially considering what we're going through right now. So I don't know how important the movie is. I do know that I was entertained and kind of blown away by the aggression of the piece, though. I do know whatever this director does next, I will watch it. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he can go any further. But, I don't uh, think he needs to. No, I don't think he does. Yeah, I agree. Well, anything else on that one? No, I'd, I'd tell people to see it, um, but I'd warn people to say it might not be your cup of tea. I mean, it's, it, it would be okay to turn it off. Yeah, it's extreme. And I'll say this. You cannot judge this thing in hindsight. I don't think you can judge this thing on this trailer. If you look at the trailer, it looks like a very hard, gory horror film. Mm-hmm. But that trailer is really only the first. It 
it pulls, I've never seen the trailer, so yeah, I have it no pulls idea things from maybe the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. You don't see anything else of it, and uh, I don't think I don't play the subway scene, right? Yeah, pretty much. I, I don't I don't think you could look at the trailer and even understand um, what this you're getting into. I you got to do your research yeah. on this one. Hands down, one of my favorite subway scenes of all time. I'm just gonna say that <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it starts out in a creepy place and just gets worse. Further and further <laughs> and further. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god! And then they give you a, a shot of the aftermath, and you're like, oh my god! Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, okay. So How do you transition. Yeah, you're you're hanging out with some of your favorite people on the planet, and you're like, okay, we've spent four days. We saw Yum Biao, an amazing film, uh, great Korean thriller, uh, a fun ninja film, Samuel Hung kicking people in the face. It was just artistic beauty, uh, one of the most transgressive pieces of cinema. And you got one film left. What what are you gonna What are you gonna end the four days on? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. This is where we talk about how these some of these films came together as table pitches. Like the entire canon yes. was films, how can we sell? And we got sold a line of BS on this last <laughs> one. We did. So we're all sitting at a baseball game, uh, watching the O's and the Yankees go back and forth. Of course, Rick and I talking shit to each other for, for nine innings. <laughs> and uh, the topic of Fred Ward comes up. So he just passed, Remo Williams, and uh, we're all big fans. And somebody says, have you, have you ever heard of this film that Fred Ward was in called Funky Monkey uh, about a chimpanzee who, who learns kung fu? <laughs> we're like, what? Sorry, huh? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, it's like this 2004 comedy that, that Fred Ward did. And we start kind of looking at it and finding out that, oh, Matthew Modine's in it, Gilbert Gottfried, Jeffrey Tambor, uh, and had a $30 million budget. Yeah. Uh, and I, we, I got to be fair to Jose here. Jose, I love you. I'm the one that initiated the Funky Monkey kickoff because I was going through Fred Ward's filmography yes. once I heard he passed. And I was like, well, how did I never see this thing? Right. I kind of threw it out there, but Jose did the further research. I never went any further than that. Yeah, yeah. So we were both guilty in a little bit. And Jose's at the game with us too, and we're we're watching baseball, and we're talking about this film for a couple of days. We're like, well, my I mean, God. fairness, he said Kung Fu Monkey, and we were like, I was in on Kung yep. Fu Monkey. Yeah. So and he said, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime's. Yeah, and I'm like, well, we couldn't find it. Well, you can buy it in HD. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to buy it. So yeah. Here's here, kids. This is what you don't want to do. Um, <laughs> this this is more of a warning than the sadness. I think. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. So, how it, many PSAs are we gonna have in this? Episode? Yeah, if you're under the influence of a lot of hazy IPAs, and you've had an amazing four days with with your your bestest friends in the entire world, and you've had a generous amount of banana pudding. Oh my God! Just some of the best <laughs> banana pudding you've ever had. To where the point you're just like rolling around in the banana pudding. Yeah. And it's like 10.30 at night, and you're, 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 <laughs> your stomach hurts from laughing so hard. And finally, you're like, do you remember that stupid movie we were talking about at the baseball game with Fred Ward? And, or uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kept bringing up Fred Ward's name, which yeah. is, this is going to all pay off yeah. when we talk about this. And so we're like, yeah, let, you know what? And, uh, the hazy IPA is talking. Um, let's just watch Funky Monkey. You know, it'll, it'll be great. Everybody sitting around. And so, uh, yeah. We kind of did this the last time I was here. Last time I was here, we... The last day, we kind of just hung out and everything else here at the house. Yeah. And we threw on Body Slam, I believe. 
Yes, the Roddy Piper film. Yeah, and after it was over, my son was like, that movie was terrible. He didn't want to say anything to anybody else because he thought we all liked it. I'm like, no, it was bad. Roddy Piper's film was the Citizen Kane masterpiece compared to Funky Monkey. It was better than Funky Monkey, yes. Uh, But yes, um, we watched Funky Monkey, the the last film from from 2004. It was directed by Harry Basil, um, written by people. Um, I don't even know anybody. I mean, we watched it just last night, and I can remember nobody's name behind the scenes. A Matthew Modine trying to look like, you know, the Dollar General version of the lead singer, Smash Mouth, his He's entire like wardrobe. He's straight out of, like, 1994 Gap Store. Yeah. Reminds me of, like, Stephen Baldwin performances from the 90s. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even those were better. Um, with with we've, We found a new level of fart rock. I don't know what you would call this. Oh. I mean, ah, whew. Um, it's pretty bad. Yeah, so it's it's the plot centers around a boy genius who teams up with a super talented chimpanzee and his caretaker to take down an animal testing lab and win the high school football game. There you go. What what's the acronym for the zit uh, zit zit zoology international technologies or yeah yeah something technology yeah yep it's zit zit yeah I don't I don't know what to say about this one. I do. Okay. I can lead off. Uh, you want to say something, Randy? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so so do we do we say the punchline now or do we wait? Yeah, no, I, I those of again that have listened to me over the years know that I will try to find the good in anything. Um this movie has some entertaining moments with somebody dressed up in a monkey suit, but outside of that It has some good monkey based puns. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good monkey based stuff. I mean it's it's nothing you've never seen before, but it's pretty lazy and pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty bad movie. I mean, I've seen some bad stuff. Not the worst movie. I said this again last night. Certainly not the worst movie I've ever seen. It is not the worst seen. movie you've ever seen. Yeah, I'll yeah, say that. Maybe not even the worst movie I've seen in the last six months, but it is certainly a contender for the worst film I will see this year. I mean, it what? is bad. Is part of the problem that we were sold that it was a kung fu monkey film and it's really a family film? Like you came in with the expectations no. and no, it, it had it had some it had the, the monkey was well okay the guy in the monkey suit was kicking people. I'll say this. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna say what I think I'm gonna say. There there is action scenes in there and the the, the first ten minutes are okay. Yeah, that, the first yes. I was just to say that the, the the stuff with the guy in the monkey suit and Matthew Modine and this guy in a monkey suit Mission with the Mission Impossible reenactment. Yep. Yes, the first fifteen minutes I'm like. Holy shit! This yeah. thing might be a new classic. Yeah, we might have some fun with this. And yeah, talk about different it for years. movies though. Then when it so when it it got away from the monkey kung fu and went into this turned on to the monkey on the run film. Yes, the road yes. movie. I was gonna say when it turned into the road movie, which then turned into the football movie. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how it got there. This is a prequel to MVP, like I was talking about, yeah. which I had no idea what you were saying last night. Called, I looked yeah. it up. Okay. I got it. Most valuable primate. There's several MVP films. Yes. yes. Wow. Um, There's a lot of monkey movies out there. Let me say what needs to be said. Twelve-year-olds aren't that interesting. This was aimed at a twelve-year-old. Yeah. And well, my oh, my twelve-year-old would eight-year-old <laughs> obliterate this. This is an eight-year-old. This is aimed at an eight-year-old. So. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, can't Gilbert, even, I can't even look at it as entertainment for a five-year-old. Gilbert Gottfried. 
Oh, he's just Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, yeah, he was Gilbert. He gave Godfrey a Planet of the Apes reference. Yeah, yeah. Which again was lazy. It was. I mean, there was a Kong reference too. That was early yeah. on. There was a barrel of monkeys, like yeah, you said. Barrel monkeys. I didn't get that out. until you're the, like the banana peel slip. You yeah. had that in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a monkey on someone's back. Yes. Yep. Oh, numerous monkeys yes. on people's backs. Yeah. Yeah. Or people dressed in monkey suits on people's backs. But we waited for Fred Ward, <laughs> and we waited for Fred Ward, and we said it'll get better. Fred Ward will be on screen. Yeah. There's no saving. Apparently, Fred Ward's not in this movie, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's listed I, in the IMDb as yeah. so what, Don never, Decker. Yeah, I've never watched a film with somebody tied to the cast and not seen them in the film. It's usually in the trivia that yeah. Fred Ward scenes were deleted. He wasn't in the monkey suit, right? No, he was not. No. not he might have been. I don't know. So there was some production issues with this movie, surprisingly. And uh, it was rewritten and recut because um, obviously the first 15 minutes of this movie and the last 80 minutes do not mesh very no. well at all. So I think they set out to make a Kung Fu chimpanzee movie and it turned into a sort of road movie slash high school drama <laughs> with football, maybe. Um, yeah, but Fred Ward never shows up. <laughs> Ever. We, we waited and we waited. He's not in the credits at all. But we thought it was maybe going to be an end scene in the credits. We watched, like, we watched through the credits it. thinking well, it was going to We did fast forward the credits. Yeah, but. I thought it was going to be a yeah. Marvel thing where Fred Ward like pops up and is like, well, we're we're taking this monkey. Yeah, four and, years before Tony Stark, but you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, something, I don't know. Much uh, worse in credit song than the sadness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. There was that but movie. if you look at like some of his obituaries and stuff, they list this movie as like something he did. So I don't know if there's just laziness by we people just, just didn't looking have the director's at director's cut. Um, I well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going back and watching. Yeah, it. I'm not watching it ever. There's going to be no Criterion Collection, is what you're saying? No, <laughs> Troy might actually find some way to hide this in his collection. Well, he only bought and it that's digitally. Saying something. Hey, I got it digitally, digitally. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not saying you physically can see it. I'm but, saying like on your app or anything else, somebody might say something. You won't say, well, I own it. Well, I didn't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a level of competency you assume is going to be there with 25 to $30 million. Yeah. And this movie looks like it was made for about a buck 45. Yeah. Well, I, yes. Yeah. Because even, even the guy in the monkey suit, it looked like a guy in a, in a monkey suit. Yeah. From yeah. Party City. Yeah. And then he had a couple chase scenes, but other than that, no, the, the football's really bad too. The action in the football game is really bad. There's how do you get to a point where your villains of the film decide <laughs> to actually don on the jerseys of the visiting team? So and then no one notices. And, and no there one was notices. Another one that was a ref as well, I yeah. think, but that never came back in. The but then Matthew Modine put on a ref outfit to, I guess, counterbalance the calls. But he never, the other guy never made a bad call. It wasn't yeah, like that was, was the thing. They showed him and then they never came into play. Well, he was actually a good ref. Yeah. Yeah. He, He's impartial. He was fair. He was. He became an impartial. He did good. That's the best part of this film then, huh? It, no. No. <laughs> the, the best part of this film is when it was over. It was over. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, I'm kind of amazed I made it through it. I probably would. I, well, I know I wouldn't have watched it all if we weren't together. Oh, no, no, no. I would have turned it off about halfway through. I would have had enough. I agree. I'm still not convinced it's a real movie. Oh, it's a movie. I had more. I'll be honest with you. I had more fun. I'll say that. Of all the of all the movies we watched, watching your expression, Brad, <laughs> during this film was a highlight. I probably watched you more than I did this film. 
I appreciate that. Thanks. Because <laughs> you were just like, what is it? like Every your whole reality? Minutes, he's like, so, so what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> it's always a bad sign for me. I got probably 75% of this movie. I have my phone out. And I don't, I don't ever get my phone out for Ooh. movies. So that, well, if I wasn't watching Brad, I would have been watching another <laughs> movie on my phone. I was phone. going through recording it, no, it. I wasn't doing anything like that. I was just, I was looking at some of the stuff behind the movie and everything. I was reading some of that stuff out, but which I'm not sure any of it's accurate. Um, but yeah, because apparently it's filmed in France and then they moved yeah. to San Diego. It's like you don't know. Yeah, supposedly the monkey bit Matthew yeah, they Modine. Took the yeah. off a set. And uh, yeah, this is a dark turn. Supposedly the monkey bit Matthew Modine. This is what IMDb says, and then was chased down by its trainer and immediately destroyed, which sounds <laughs> destroyed, not put down, terrible. but destroyed. Yes, they turned it into and, the sadness uh, there for a minute. We don't know if which that's is true. weird because this movie is about combating animal cruelty. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, I, I don't. We don't know if it's true. Uh, we do think that it is true that Matthew Modine did not get along with the first chimpanzee. Yeah. We should also point out that Taylor Negron is our big bad in this film. Yeah. yeah. And he's subtle. As Jay Flick. Jay Flick. It's a good bad guy name. But he, oh, and Tommy Davidson it. is in here. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a couple of funny moments. Oh, and it says Fred Ward is Don Decker. Which is a fucking lie. <laughs> it's a lie. God damn it. We have been lied to. Jesus. Um, well, yeah, I don't know what to say about this one. It, it was a group effort to get through. Thank yeah. you guys yeah, for being there guys. when we needed it. Because yeah, I can't recommend this to anybody. No, not it's not even so bad. It's good watching. I'm with more the group. embarrassed that I watched this movie than the sadness. <laughs> so that's true. If the first 15 <laughs> minutes was a short. Would it work? Uh, um, I would have chuckled and I would have been fine. I don't know if I ever would have watched okay. it again. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's the other thing about this movie. It's weird. Matthew Modine's like this almost superhero. Yeah, there's a lot of wire work. Matthew yeah, Modine is so weird, yeah. doing his best, like, whoosha, like... Yeah, I mean, there's moments where I'm like, am I watching Kill Bill? Or am I watching... Just out of nowhere, too. Funky crouching, monkey. crouching Tiger, like Hidden Monkey. <laughs> no, somebody said that. Somebody, somebody oh. said Crouching Tiger or Hidden Modine. Oh, Hidden Modine. Oh, <laughs> there we go, yeah. Because okay. Randy said that, yeah. I like that. Uh, crouching Tiger, Hidden that Modine. That was yesterday. I don't know if I remember that joke. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was getting toward the back end yeah. of the night. Yeah. Well, hey... Um, I, I think it was a pretty good four days of movie watching overall. Yeah, the festival was a good, uh, this little festival was a good experiment, except for the end, but that's okay. Eh, you true. can't, you can't, I mean, we, we can't obviously. award winners. Yeah. Well, we, we could program award winners. We could, we could program, but, the, but we're adventurous. The thing about Funky Monkey is, as I'll say this, uh, we, we gave it our best college try, right? <laughs> You're going yeah. just based on the description alone and even the things we read. It, it's not our fault that the internet lies. True. Right? You can't read everything not. you read on the internet? Is that what you're saying? Well, apparently, me. now hear me out. Apparently, last night what I learned was the all the stuff on the internet may not be true. Okay. What? That's what I learned. This is a big moment. I know. To be fair, though, <laughs> Another PSA. we referenced a few things. It wasn't just like the Wikipedia said it. Everything. IMDb says that Fred Ward is in this movie. Yeah. He is credited for this movie. Yeah. People list this movie in his obituary. You're like, yep. No. What, what's the critical ratings on this? I'm curious. Oh, I miss that? has I, enough people seen it to give it a critical I'm, rating? I think IMDb accumulates at about 3.5. Yeah, I don't know. And it, which it, might even be too kind. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, it's not, not on our Christian website, is it? I'm usually not very ruthless with movies because we'll like, everybody has. I mean, everybody in this film did work. I mean, it, it wasn't great work, but everybody worked, right? Yeah. So I try not it to be too like ruthless. It looked like a hard try, not lazy yeah. at all. But 
But it, oof, man, it's a, it's a big swing and a miss. Yeah, uh, I can see why this didn't go into the theaters. Yeah, I, yeah. as intended. No, Funky time. Monkey is not on. Uh, it is not rated on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and it is not for um, on the Christian website either. So, so I think there's a part of us as film lovers who always try to go out and find the hidden gem. And I think all of us thought maybe we stumbled upon something. We, we kind of did. Sometimes you find yeah. some dirt. Yeah. Sometimes you find some cum. And we were, yeah. We were Sometimes Alfred, you find a guy monkey just... shit. Yeah. I mean, we were Alfred Molina in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's true. We, were, we thought we had Indiana Jones duped, and we got a bunch of spiders on our back, and we got screwed. Now yeah, it's basically Snakes. a monkey uh, kicking you in the balls visually. And then we got... <laughs> Stuck with prongs from a swinging gate. Yeah, sure did. Right in the butthole. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was an eventful film series, like I say. Yeah, it's always fun. And uh, I would not change any of it. I wouldn't either. I'd watch them. <laughs> as I mean, bad as that last film was, yeah. I would not change one moment. It was I perfect. can say I've seen Funky Monkey. Yes. Well, I'm not going to tell anybody to watch it. <laughs> well, anybody ever says anything, I'll be like, I know where I watched that. Yeah, that's true. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for flying out, spending some time on the East Coast, driving out in your case, Nathan, taking a month to get here. I didn't know he drove until yeah, this morning. Yeah. I thought Holy he flew shit. out here, and so you said that, and I'm sitting there thinking, geez, that's why I asked that question. How long is that? Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, he started driving back in December. I mean, that's, and for me, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Like, I'm going to get in the car, trail. and I'm going to drive to the West Coast. And this is the last time I'm going to do You didn't die of dysentery, so good job. No, no, yeah. all my ex oxen are alive. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't run across any sadness like zombies on the way across. There you go. Well, happy birthday, buddy. We Thanks, love you. Man. Happy birthday. Hey, yeah. this has happy been birthday. the best birthday ever, um, hands down. I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, I love you guys. Took you 50 years to see Funky Monkey, but you got that. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you know that die. What does that say that that's the last movie I watched in my 40s? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It is nowhere yeah. but up now. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I got a plane ride here in a few hours. I hope it's not the last movie I see. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't go out this way. Yeah. And I hope her head don't go out this way. <laughs> like, I might force myself to watch something on the plane just in case. <laughs> Anything else. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine, like, going through your letterbox? Oh, my well, God. The last was that movie. Day. Yeah. Watch Funky Monkey. Wow. Yep. No, it's been awesome. So next week, I think you're coming back, right, Tammy? Uh, yeah, but I won't be here. Yeah, we'll be at home. You're, you're not flying back for? <laughs> no, it's as good as a deal as it is. I mean, I, I do it every weekend, but I have a family. I gotta. Yeah, yes. I gotta be careful there. That all right? That could look bad. We are <laughs> could look bad. I, I bought flowers for Brad one day, and my wife's yeah, yeah. like, "Oh, thank you." I'm like, "Those aren't for you." <laughs> I, mean, I, I tell the family all the time they love it here, but you know, you, you just. You, you, it is what it is. Well, we know my son loves it here. He's been, oh, mad yeah. at me. he's been mad at me for the last four days because I've been here and he's not. We should send him some duck fat fries back on the uh, plane with you. Those wouldn't make it back. They'll travel well. <laughs> they make it. First of all, they won't make it. Yeah. Second of all, they won't travel well. I that's don't think true. that. I don't think that's a reheatable. Nah, it's you got to really. Get that's fresh. a fresh, fresh. Yeah. yeah. As somebody that has a lot of experience with deep fried food, it's kind of like you got to knock it out right then and there. That's right. Yep. I'll tell you what, the, nothing was left outside of uh, the fries or the tots from... Yeah, pretty much par for the course. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, well, next week we're doing what, Brad? Is it... Uh, yeah, we're doing Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which came out in 2004. It was a part of that big uh, black and white where we're going to be on a blue screen. Yay. Awesome. Can't wait. Uh, Nathan, thank you for taking time out of your busy 
just hanging around schedule, driving schedule, I guess, to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Randy, thank you for the, for the pop-in commentary. You're quite welcome. <laughs> Folks, if uh, you want to leave us any messages or give us some feedback, how do they do that, Brad? Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a website that's notabombpodcast.com, and you can hit the Contact Us button to leave suggestions or recommendations. Awesome. Well, man, I wish we could just record in person every time. It's so much fun. But alas, we're going to be looking at each other through video screens. It'll yeah. still be fun. It'll Not a bomb fun. slush fun doesn't have enough money to send Sammy and I out here every week. But man, if we someday, did, someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you are listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come back next week when we talk about Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. We'll see you then. Don't lose your head. Bye.